Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt. When I'm hunting turkeys, it is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. All right, welcome everyone. The Meat Eater Tiki Christmas Family Feud Podcast Blowout Extravaganza. It's all going to make sense later on, trust me. Brought to you live from our studio's pop-up tiki bar called Fish Shack's Revenge right here in our very own studio. Tons to cover. Stick around. Hot buttered rum. Iguana lard Christmas cookies. Interesting facts about the evolution of duck genitalia. A big old prickly fight family argument about social media. Veers into rectal health. Nasty old holiday argument. You know when you have a holiday party and, and every someone says something you don't like? Stay tuned. That's right, Phil. Yeah. Is this Christmas tiki? This is Christmas tiki, Steve. All right, buddy. This is, uh, what, what's going on, Corinne? I didn't wash the cups out. <laughs> Listen. You mean like after someone this else is... drank out of them? No. Out of like them arriving. Oh, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. Oh, those are great. This is the second ever, uh, we didn't do a Christmas special last year because of COVID. That's right. Like we couldn't record or something like that? We had it, everything was remote? I mean, it was pre-vaccines. It was still, yeah, it was like, let's not pack 12 people into a small... Poorly ventilated room. Well, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is uh, Christmas 2.0. The first Christmas special we did was fantastic. We had a visit from uh, we had a visit from Santa. This is a more substantive show, though. Much more substantive <laughs> yeah, Christmas. I think show. so too. Uh, I, I, but I'm, I'm going to do something first, like in the, just to set off the spirit of Christmas. Callahan's friend. So this guy's been a um, on our land access initiative auction site. We have had items up by Kirkpatrick. He's been donating items. Yeah, Riley Kirkpatrick. Kirkpatrick Forge is his business. And holy shit, he sent me a really beautiful um, a Christmas gift, a really beautiful uh, trap bed digger and steak pounder, which is uh, called the Beaver Eater, 
which is like almost too pretty to do anything with. Yes. But like, that's a nice Christmas present. So I wanted to give that guy a little, he does horseshoeing and stuff. Well, like he'll, he makes custom shoes. He, he does a certain amount of like decorative stuff, you know, but, uh, we've corresponded for many years now and it's been really cool to see like him get his forge off the ground, what he was making at the beginning. Um, some of the, some of the knives that, uh, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm going to pay you to make, make a knife. And, uh, the knife shows up and, uh, he's like, Hey man, this is not at all what you asked for. It got away from me. Uh, (laughs) sorry. He went above and beyond. No, he was like, no charge. Didn't like, but now, uh, he's like honed his craft and his skill and stuff. And so I've got to see like the whole arc of him like getting going and, and now he, he makes very fine, polished, finished stuff that's super cool. And, and like he can make, um, you know, all the cool hand forged stuff. Like he'll make you like a set of screws and hex bolts for oh, really? putting yeah. timbers together. Well, that's cool. Yeah. It's just, just neat. This dude, uh, so like I said, uh, it's good, uh, cool to back him up. He's like I said, he's donated items for our, uh, for our access initiative fundraisers, Kirkpatrick Forge. So this is his, this is his IG handle, Instagram. Kirkpatrick Forge. And uh, thanks, dude, for the Christmas present. Very kind of you, and thanks for all your support out there. Go buy some uh, some he- some screws from him, some horseshoes, mule shoes, whatever. Okay, all your needs. Uh, one more thing too. Now, here's the deal. You're going to notice how this normally get like, you know, if, if you subscribe to the show, you always get like the episodes drop. You're going to notice a special episode drop where we're doing a full on trivia special. So that of me to bog, bog you down in production details. The second we're done doing this episode you're listening to right now, we're going to roll into a trivia special where a lot of times we do our, our outdoor trivia. Um, this has got some Christmas trivia mixed in. So watch your drop, and you'll see the trivia special pop up uh, right down the road here in time for the holidays. And it's uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna do like an hour. Spencer's yeah, he's debuting a new game. We're gonna do normal trivia up top, and then a new uh, redacted style game oh, after that. Hardcore outdoor trivia, um, hosted by our very special Spencer Newharth, coming up just for you. Uh, just like this guy gave me this hammer to me, that's what we're giving to you for Christmas time there. All right, we got the uh, boatload of people here today because we got a lot of stuff we're going to cover off on. Um, Corinne's here, as always. Callahan, my brother Matt Ranella, Hunter Spencer. A lot of times when you name your kid Hunter, it backfires. <laughs> doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't. And, but you got you pulled it off. Uh, one of the few. Got named Hunter. <laughs> uh, you, you're going to come back on in a minute and explain something. Phil... The engineer. And Phil, can you, uh, while we're on you, before we move on, can you explain, um, wh- like, the confluence of Tiki? Like, I know you're a big Tiki guy. Yeah. You and I hit a Tiki bar in Nashville. That's right. Thanks for coming. Um, explain the Tiki deal for me. Well, I, they, there's not a lot of explanation, man. It's just, I like theatrics. The artifice is fun to me. A lot of people probably make some, you know, a little nauseous. I think it's thrilling. Yeah. It's, I mean, like, I... It's just there's some fun. You're you not having fun right now. Oh no, I love it. For man. people, but care. I didn't know it was a thing until you told me you like them, and I was like, I didn't know it was like a phenom. Yeah, well, I feel I feel like we're in like the third or fourth 
revival wave of tiki in this country right now because it kind of started off in the 30s came back in the 60s and 70s and now it's kind of happening again in a weird way uh have you ever been to that bar in great falls the sip and dip that's not a tiki bar it's uh, it's tiki that's tiki adjacent yeah. is that the one with the mermaid <laughs> yeah say a gal comes down in the mermaid suit and swims in that swimming pool yeah. it's pretty cool tiki adjacent i like it <laughs> uh kevin gillespie's here so, so all right we're gonna hang tight because i'm gonna say that sean weaver um our, our duck masters here he's gonna talk about duck reproduction today so if your kids are here plug their ears yeah, it's gonna this be, gets sorted, it dude. It gets a little, little wild. It gets sorted. <laughs> it's like what goes on in the oh, the, the chart. Mo- everything bad you can imagine. He's so. got charts and graphs that'll. Oh. Uh, Brody Henderson. So uh, Chef Kevin Gillespie, uh, our very own. Uh, um, so, so on top, Chef, you were people's choice. Yeah, yeah. Fan, I think it's fan favorite. Fan favorite top chef dude who's going to make us a a, a a a drink. How does it, how does, tell me the drink. I know it's Christmas, but how is it tiki? So hot buttered rum. So, you know, most tiki drinks are rum-based cocktails. There's not a lot of Christmassy tiki things, you know. Theoretically at the equator, it's kind of like summer all the time. So, but this is one of the few, it's my favorite. It's also my favorite, like, if you've been hunting and it's super cold and you come back in and make it because it just, it warms you up, so... Oh yeah, yeah. This you're gonna, gonna you're gonna dish them out for us. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna be the one like metering how much each of you get because these are, they might seem like they are like pretty easy to drink, but there's two bottles of rum in, I don't know, maybe fifty, sixty ounces of uh of total drink. So so they're stiffies. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, these are sledgehammers. Oh, man, so. not, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm not dude, normally a day drinker, and you're dude, asking this us is to like do this pretty early in the day. Morning yeah, drink. Yeah, this yeah. isn't day drinking. This oh. is this is morning drinking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I could, oh. Fresh start. That, that's good. I, I, I'll be a good player. So uh, you do like a like tiki pop-up bars down yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah, we have one called Loose Cannon that is like our tiki pop-up that we run in, in some of my restaurants. It's not a permanent thing. It's just something we do for fun. Uh, and so Phil and Corinne and I were talking about, well, first of all, we were talking about should we do a Loose Cannon in Bozeman? And then it kind of turned into something different. And then you guys fell in love about tiki. Yeah, I mean, I've already been in love with tiki. Like, but, I mean, you realize that you share a tiki. Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's the, that's the commonality here, and we just felt like we were going to effectively force it on the rest of you guys. Yep. So, uh, Hunter, this is your first time on the show. Yep, Hunter Spencer. Now, this guy knows the heart and soul. Like, we were talking earlier how well you capture the aesthetic of meat eater, but then someone said, "Well, he creates it. He doesn't capture it; he makes it." But he's right. like our art, all our cool art. Yeah, yeah. All the cool art comes from Hunter Spencer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. It's like uh, from way the hell down. Where do you live? In Virginia, Virginia Beach. So yeah, took the long flight out. But um, yeah, I I got a good sense of meat eater. But you know, when it came into to doing uh, the fish shacks revenge, got a little tricky. So I had to have my man Phil guide me in the right direction to make a logo. Yeah. So yeah, Corinne wanted to do these commemorative mugs. We're gonna drink out of these commemorative mugs. He made a thing, uh, like a, like a tiki theme logo, Fish yeah. Shack's Revenge, and the Fish Shack I noticed uh, is gone in it. Yeah, yeah. It's just a shop part of the revenge. Yeah, it's just that a will, shop yeah, that will <laughs> inevitably happen. Yeah. It's probably um, worth saying that we are we are in a pop up tiki bar right now. It's kind of what oh, I this, keep forgetting to mention. Yeah. That. <laughs> Phil yeah. made it a pop up tiki. Yeah, bar. and it's called the Fish Shack's Revenge. It's the name of the bar. Yeah, it looks great. Who came up with the name? That that was me. 
Because that's the deal with, with tiki. It has to have like <laughs> a it. like a, a tiki bar has to have a bold, crazy name. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know like that. the whole tiki. thing. You don't call it Ralph's. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Unless it's like about barfing, maybe. But then, yeah, it's got to always have some sort of crazy name. It's it, they're just thematic. Like that's the whole point. It's like a form of escapism. Love it, love it. We're gonna jump up and talk about this. Is all in keeping with the Christmas theme too. So um, we're gonna talk about something in Alaska, like the land of the reindeer. But first, I want to I want to tee something up. Uh, so my brother Danny up in Alaska is gonna do a report. He he's gonna do a report for us on something that he was telling me about when I was in Alaska, and it has to do uh, you'll see it has to do with deer. So it's not far to extrapolate out toward Christmas. He was telling me about it, and then I was pestering him about who would be best to talk to about this wildlife issue. So like a wildlife disease issue in Alaska involving deer. And it eventually occurred to me that he was throwing out names, but eventually occurred to me that he'd be most, uh, most suitable to talk about it. Um, but I want to mention a couple, I, I want to mention before we get in, I want to mention a uh, update on something too. Like, uh, we just had the, if you go back a couple episodes, we had the episode called all up in your airspace, which is all about the corner crossing issue. I wanted to follow back up with a, with a, one of our guests, we had an attorney on talking about the legality of corner crossing, this big case that's coming up in Wyoming and what that means. Um, first off, thanks to everybody on here, uh, everybody listening, because I did a post on Instagram about the corner crossing issue and about this legal fund for these guys in Wyoming who are up for criminal trespassing charges on corner crossing. And I think that the the response to that really demonstrates a lot. So there's like over 67,000 people like hit a like on this thing about corner crossing. And then you might normally put a post up and get a couple hundred comments, 2,043 comments about the corner crossing thing. Uh, I, in my view, based on what we know now, the greatest, the, 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 like the greatest threat to deer hunting is CWD, in my view. Now I'm talking like nationally, like nationally, the greatest threat is CWD. That that that, that disease would somehow mutate and become would would pass into humans. It would just be unbelievably catastrophic to everything. The greatest opportunity, but you know, I don't like to go negative without going positive. The greatest opportunity is that somehow we'd get the sharpest legal minds on the planet to find a way around the corner crossing issue. I was talking to I, I was talking to the, the crew at Onyx the other day about a couple policy issues on the horizon. Um, they've been running some numbers. Check this out. This is Wyoming alone. They hate to keep picking on Wyoming, but that's where this that's where these four dudes are are getting criminal trespassing charges for corner crossing. If you could corner cross in Wyoming, take a stab how many acres federal and state would open up. For hunting, public hunting. Three Take million. Huh? Three million. No, dude, say a lower number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 I hate really? people do that. that many? Dude, say like, uh, go like a million. Do you guys know how many acres are of uh, federal are in the country? 640. Yep. 640 million. million. Yeah. Guess how many acres of state and federal land would open up in Wyoming if you could corner across that aren't currently accessible? Uh, you know what? Because you screwed me on three million, I'm gonna do a superlative. I was honestly guessing. Okay. How dare you pack a room full of educated people <laughs> yeah. on these subjects? <laughs> educated guess. Okay. Let me let me hit it with a let me hit it with a thing that makes it seem impressive. Greater a greater landmass than Yellowstone National Park. 
a greater land mass. Yellowstone National Park is 2.2 million acres. If somehow, and it's in that attorney we had on laid out how difficult it would be. Like these boys in Wyoming, now that they got a like this guy told me that when when we hit it on Instagram, the the their legal fund tripled in 24 hours. Wow. The amount of That's money great. for the legal fund. But here's the problem. You'd think it's great, but it's not. If they get off, it doesn't change anything because it's a circuit court. It doesn't set precedent. They would need to lose an appeal and go to the state Supreme Court. So either it'll get dropped because they won't, because the people, the, the prosecutor will drop it because he sees where it's going, or they win. If they win and get off, that has no repercussions on the next guy that corner crosses. It's just a circuit court. It doesn't change. Everybody's getting like, I've been corrected on it so many times. People are getting too optimistic about what a victory would look like. A victory doesn't change policy. It either needs to be addressed by the feds. We lay this all out when we have this attorney on. By the way, these boys are sitting flush on, on legal fund money now. Um, Another issue with it is it, it very well could have been the wrong state to do this in. Um, well, it's only going to happen state by state unless it's never going to go to the, it wouldn't go to the federal Supreme Court. Um, yeah, but it's not, it's not a, like, it, my understanding is that it might not be the best state to try to set the precedent in. Oh, but my because, understanding. Uh, you know, Montana BHA considered doing the same thing last year, but they looked at the makeup of the courts and said, this is not the right oh. time. And I, I really hope that these guys thought about the kind of legislators they have. <laughs> but it'll, it'll, that it, it'll only go state by state. We had it with, really oh, listen okay. to the episode all, right. all up in your airspace. And we have an attorney on the show, lay out the process. Oh, I thought you said just something just now about it. Maybe going to the feds. No, the only way, the yeah. only way you'd ever have something that would override states is there'd somehow be some federal commerce issue. But like I'm saying, these got like if these boys lost, the only way that that the state of Wyoming's corner crossing issue would be ever be resolved with any clarity is if they went to their state supreme court. But that in and of itself isn't going to drive federal policy. In the way this guy explained it, that issue. The way it's laid out with the laws isn't something that would be eligible for federal Supreme Court. There'd have to be some entirely different approach to ever have the federal government clarify airspace issues like they have with the airplane, with airplanes. Uh, again, we'll do a way better job at all up in your airspace. But I think it's important to throw in the excess legal fees. Because really what they needed was was about 30 grand. And yeah. that, that had a, a little bit of a buffer built into it already. What do they know? Last time I checked, it was like 56 or something like Got that. It. So, uh, and you've been hitting it hard on Cal's Week in Review. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this near and near and dear to me for sure. But um, the, the excess funds will go to Wyoming's Access Yes program. Got it. Which is like our block management program here. So it's a, it's a public access to private ground um program in the state of wyoming so got it uh, willing landowner uh can sign up for the program and and get compensated for allowing access to um their private ground for you know certain activities or parts of their place or all their place and someone needs that's what i was talking about is starting to save up money for if this ever becomes a thing start saving up money for a lot of surveyor fees because fences don't count uh, mapping devices on your phone aren't precise enough. You need it, these need to be surveyed corners. 
if you're planning on actually hopping from one to the other. People got to get sick of us talking about this shit. Oh, uh, you know something about the uh, CWD being like the greatest threat to American deer hunting? So at Doug Dern's place, we're going to talk about this in extensive detail soon, but uh, at Doug Dern's place, he's seeing guys with deer they shot on their farm. This is in Wisconsin. So this is like harvested deer, not shit laying around dead, harvested deer, 70, 65 to 70% in some areas of, of, of deer coming off a specific farm testing positive for CWD, which I put it in Christmas terms. This would be if Dasher, Prancer, Comet, Donner, and Rudolph all had CWD. <laughs> Freaking blitzing. He always gets off easy. Santa gets out of his nine deer. Dasher, Prancer, Comet, Donner, and Rudolph. Even Rudolph. Oh, say it ain't so. CWD. Dead in two years. Would have been dead anyway in two years. Always fatal. And I think that right there is, is an even greater threat to deer hunting than CWD crossing over to people it's the threat of cwd crossing over to any sort of domestic livestock that's why i can't figure out why the usda is is so reluctant i mean they're going to get it handed to them now because the u.s house just passed did you see the the, yeah, the house just awesome. passed the cwd bill I've, i i have some info that i'm not allowed to talk about yet about what will happen in the senate but Hopefully it'll pass there. And then the USDA is going to be forced to stop kowtowing. What's that word? Kowtowing? Yeah. To the captive servant industry. They just are like, oh, no, they'll take care of it. They're nice. But can you imagine? Like, so the USDA is a great example, right? You look at uh, uh, scrapies and sheep. Yep. Very similar to CWD. And what happens if you follow the USDA guidelines, if a single sheep in your flock were to get scrapies you test bury, positive you for bury them in a shallow grave along with all of their buddies and if any of their buddies happened to travel to another farm you would track that down test that whole facility while it's on lockdown and if anything there hints of scrapies you would then kill all them and there would be no compensation to the landowner for any of this. Yeah, I can't figure out why. I was looking at Instagram the other day, and uh, TRCP had a post up. It was a kid doing a grip and grin with a little doe. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. A kid got a doe. But uh, it was uh, urging people to reach out to the USDA and try to get them to do something because they just don't seem to care. Uh, all right, so now back to deer issues. Danny. Are you ready to lay it out? Yeah. Yeah. Ready when you are. Okay. Why? Like, okay. Talk about what's going on with mule deer in Alaska. And if you're sitting there thinking like mule deer in Alaska, there are any mule deer in Alaska. You're right and wrong. Yeah. There are at, 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 at this moment, there may be a few, uh, they, 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 they seem to sh show up, uh, sort of in the Eastern interior and in a, in a few scattered places in Southeast. Um, you know, in spring and summer when they kind of get their roam on, you know, um, but there, but I, I, there's some rumors of uh, even deer overwintering here. And that, as a matter of fact, in um, 
I think partly what got this conversation going between you and me, Steve, is I had mentioned a rumor about somebody finding a shed antler in an area where I do a little bit of hunting, uh, which would suggest that, they, you know, in some cases they may even be here, here year round. Um, oh, I got, you know, I, maybe I, maybe I'm like, re, this is reoccurring to me, but yeah, that, that puts a timestamp on its presence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a, there was a, a rumor of a, I think a mule deer fawn scene uh, around Haynes or Skagway, like in Northern Southeast too. So, you know, it doesn't appear that we have like a breeding population yet or necessarily that they're even here year round, but um, it, the, the, the sightings appear to be co- becoming more frequent and you know i i guess the backstory is for for this is that um you know mule deer are kind of leading the way but whitetail aren't you know horribly far behind them they've been sort of expanding northward in western canada for several decades now um they, mule deer were first seen in the yukon like 100 years ago but they've you know in the meantime sort of become established there and I've never laid eyes on one. I haven't spent much time in the Yukon, but um, and I, I haven't seen one in Alaska too. But I, I admit, I'm always on the lookout for tracks. It's it it kind of adds like a whole new dimension to you know being out on the country when you're in an area where they could be showing up. Now, why do they view it as not natural migration? I mean, is it because it's because is it like a is it a clear issue of human activities and climate change or what is it? Yeah, I mean it's it's. It's it's abetted by you know warming climate, milder winters, and and to some extent it's also aided by road corridors and agriculture. Like that's kind of a prime area to spot them, you know, in in the eastern interior of Alaska and in the Yukon, like agricultural fields and that sort of thing. So, yeah, if it wasn't for you know climate change and um, um, human alteration of the landscape, they probably wouldn't be you know as far along as they are in their expansion. No, and the state has kind of like a shoot on site. That's not how they put it, but they they they're not welcome. Like they want them dead. Do they want them dead because no, they want to look at them, the, or do they want them dead because yeah, they don't want they, them to get a toehold? It's, it's no. It's not that they're trying to keep them from becoming established here. Okay. That's probably not realistic. But the, they're 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 very into you know the state wildlife managers at Alaska Department of Fish and Game are very interested in getting their hands on some specimens. Because um, they're very interested in understanding what types of diseases and parasites they could be carrying, you know, like winter tick and brain worms and CWD and EHD and that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, and all in, in I think it's all the game management units that the border Canada. You know, it's now legal to shoot um, mule deer and white-tailed deer year-round. Uh, ADF and G changed this a couple. It's it's been in effect for a couple of years now. So no tag, nothing. If you're like a licensed hunter and you see a mule deer or a whitetail year round, you could go get it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. But that's then my they want it. Though. Yeah. They want the animal. Yeah, ideally they want the whole thing, you know. But if you're in a remote spot and you got to pack it out, they, um, you know, they want the whole head with the with the skull cap intact. Uh, they want the heart with the lungs attached to it, the the liver, the, the hide, a hoof. Uh, and a quarter cup of pellets. Um, a quarter cup? Yeah. <laughs> and run through me again, like, what they're interested in looking at these deer to see if they're carrying into the state. So presumably these are things that aren't in Alaska now, the the, the, yeah. the diseases you're naming. Yeah, stuff that they could potentially be transmitting to, you know, moose, caribou, sheep, all that sort of thing here. But, um, yeah, one is, I, I think the big one is winter ticks. But, you know, I've, 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 I've kind of a, a, a list here that I've 
picked up uh, this was in a media interview with one of the ADF and G biologists. But this is, here's kind of a list he gave: winter ticks, brain worms, CWD, EHD, uh, stomach worm, liver flukes, mange mites. Wow. Gives you a little gives you a little sense of what they're looking for. Yeah, for sure. You'd have to be kind of like a surgeon to bring them what they want. They want the heart with the lungs attached. Yeah, ideally you just bring them the whole thing. But yeah, yeah. Um, and then do they? Uh, where are the primary? Can you tell people? Because you explained this to me too. What are the primary avenues that these deer are taking to get into Alaska? So if you can sort of picture the lay of the land, like that, you know, boy, even if you look at like the Wikipedia mule deer range map, you can see that they sort of colonized you know, the Southern third half of Yukon territory now. And there, there's a breeding population there. And, um, I, I, you know, I guess they're commonly cited there and there's even a hunting season, a regulated hunting season in the Yukon. Now I I looked it up in last year, they gave out, uh, uh, I think 12 tags last year for deer in the Yukon. Really? Um, and then, so from there, they're just sort of, you know, the, the, they're just, sort of expanding out from there and the, the the two routes for getting into Alaska are kind of going through some low mountain passes um, from Southern Yukon and Northern BC that, that lead into like the Haines and Skagway area and, and sort of the Northern Southeast panhandle, you know, and, or they're kind of going up North of the St. Elias range and sort of moving into the East central interior, um, like along the Alaska highway you know i guess there's a lot, been a lot of settings around toke and between toke and fairbanks along the alcan and there's a fair bit of agriculture in there too so it probably attracts them to the area you know you hear so much about the way that as the climate warms um you hear so much about the losers right but they're inevitably and it, like i'm not posing this out as hey it'll all be a wash but inevitably you have winners oh yeah yeah and it's a bit of a just a testament to how adaptable deer are too. I mean, they already have this, you know, huge long, uh, latitudinal range, you know, they're well down into Mexico and, uh, and here they are just expanding sort of ever northward slowly, but surely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it adds an, just a neat, a neat extra sort of element to being on the landscape here too. Like I'm just dying to see one. And when I'm in that area, I'm always looking for tracks. I've never seen hide in their hair yet, but, uh, hopefully someday. So, but if you saw one, would you shoot at it personally? Yeah, for science. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You can, uh, I know you got a lot going on up there. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and breaking that down. I was, I was kind of eager to talk about it and, uh, really appreciate it. That's Danny Ranella joining us from, uh, remote from Anchorage. Feel free to hang out. Um, Kevin's going to pour a couple stiffies. We can't hand you one, but, uh, he, he's going to make them anyway. Um, no. Yeah, yeah. Hey, nice talking with you. Nice seeing uh, everybody there. I got to I gotta bring my boy to school here. All right, thanks so much, dude. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Danny. All right, Kevin, you ready to pour us our drinks? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you guys ready? Oh, yeah. And then there's like a thing. There's like a talking point in the form of a cookie. Yeah, so... But not a weed cookie. Not a, not a weed cookie. So <laughs> I felt like... Well, we already talked about this. These drinks are strong. Like, they're not going to seem strong, but they're really strong. So you're going to get a little bit. I mean, you could top yourself off later. Like, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm I'm not here. I'm here to tell you how to live your life. But uh, it felt like you needed something to eat. So Corinne sent me a message a while back about a, a listener who killed an iguana in his yard in Florida, in Tampa. Like one of those invasive iguanas. Yeah. Yeah. And he butchered it and cooked it for his kids. And then he rendered all the fat out of it 
and he just had jar and jar and jar of iguana lard. And so he wrote us saying, like, can someone on your culinary team tell me what to do with this? And so I just said, well, I don't know, send me a couple jars and I'll see. Like, I, I can't say I've cooked with iguana fat before, so send them to me. And so he mailed me some jars. And when I got them, I was shocked because I thought they were manteca, like Spanish style rendered pork lard. Yep. That's what it looked like. That's what it smelled like. And so I called Corinne and said, why don't we make cookies out of this iguana fat and feed it to everybody when we do our tiki Christmas? Sure, man. Um, so that's what we did. So we made these, uh, it's a Spanish style cookie called a polverone or a, uh, mantequito. It's like a, it's a traditionally made with lard. It's a Christmas cookie. And so we made them last night, um, over at Cal's house. With iguana fat. Well, so it's traditionally made with pork fat. We made it with the iguana fat and it's awesome. So, well, really, I mean, I, you'd be the judge. I don't know. You decide if you like Do you remember it. when Florida put out their thing, uh, and they, they had to walk it back, but they're basically telling people, like, shoot them on yeah, sight. exactly. Like, well, this guy. And then they're like, well, I mean, like, shoot them on sight. You know what I mean. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So this guy clearly took that approach. And when we got him, <laughs> you know, I started experimenting with recipes. And I got to admit, like, the first three things I made did not come out. I made some of the most horrific cookies you've ever had in your with life. With the iguana fat. With the iguana fat. They didn't, it wouldn't work. Like, the recipe wouldn't work. And so I emailed Corinne and said, I don't know what's going on with this fat, but it has this weird ability to like pull moisture out of the air. And so everything you make with it is as if you put a bunch of water in the recipe and it's not working right. And I don't understand. And so who is it that you messaged? Um, message Bob Reed, who we've had on this podcast. Oh, he before. sent us a jar of Python oil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That ah. Bob Reed. And then Bob Reed talked to some of his other scientist friends. So. Right. And so they came wow. back and said, look, here's the deal. <laughs> Iguana fat is almost identical to pork lard. So that, Turns out that was kind of true, but it's it's more hydroscopic, so it pulls it pulls moisture from the air. And so I kind of went back to the drawing board and did a like pulled out a super old school like medieval recipe, literally, and said, "We'll see if this will work." And they came out perfect. God, so, I can't wait, man! So it took several yeah. scientists and an accomplished chef to bring you these cookies today. But here's the <laughs> thing, dude. But here's the thing. Once you write it down, then it's like, then all that work gets handed down to Florida's iguana hunters. There you go. Well, so that was the promise that we gave this guy was send it to us. If I can make something out of it, I'll send you the recipe back so that you can make it like for your family. Cause he still has some, he kept a little bit of the, wasn't it like a, a crazy amount of, of right. Well, so that's the other that thing iguana? is that the scientist thinks this was like an escaped pet because there's, I mean, it produced <laughs> <laughs> this render. It's not one of the, it's not one of the wild ones. I mean, we don't know, but he's like, it shouldn't have made that much fat. It was it a, made uh, it. 32 ounces right, oh of gosh. fat from one iguana. How big was the iguana? Good question. We think it's like a six footer, but so a chubby big. six footer at that. Damn. That includes tail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I would have never Tip thought iguanas would be like fat. Right. I had no fat. idea. I got to be frank with you, man. Iguana fat a little bit kind of sicks me out. Uh, so I don't know why. Okay, I'm going to so, eat it. So I made these at home and then I just gave them to my wife and did not tell her what they were. Yeah. And she was like, these are good. They're very satiating and i was like what do you mean she was like i don't know what the ingredient is but i only really want to eat one of these <laughs> got it it's a fatty like, ass cookie. Yeah. yeah and i'm like uh that all that'd be all the lizard grease that's in it um which needless to say didn't go over super well but she actually ended up eating more of them they are good they're just yeah iguana fat's weird you know that's totally a weird thing all right let's dish it out all right let's do it oh there's a picture of it in our notes i'm putting those in right oh, yeah, now that's a 
my the, goodness. Florida news oh, gets that? the Cute benefit of cookie. like yeah. clickbait yeah. because yeah. every year when the temperature drops, they're like, iguanas falling from trees. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, is that oh. his goal? That's the iguana he shot? Yep. We have plenty more. It's uh, it's almost like uh, the texture is like a soft, chewy. Um, oh, what am I thinking? It's not Snickerdoodle. Ginger Snap. Ginger Snap, but the soft one. Oh, damn, that's good though, man. Oh no, sorry. It yeah, felt like snap. it felt like that in my fingers, but it's much drier and yeah, airy. It should be like a, almost short, ready, or like um, yeah, almost oh, for sure, like man. The, the traditional recipe uses lard and then bitter almonds, and so it should be a crumbly kind of, you know, fairly dry. Like most European cookies are not, like kind of. In that oh, that's good. Crust. It leaves a little oil in your mouth. It's mm-hmm. the thinking man's cookie, I think. So that's one of the best cookies I've ever had. In my yeah, that's entire a good life. cookie. It's I'm about to head to Florida for some iguanas. All right, guys, if you're here. You want to pass around? I just like that recipe in general, man. Holy in. cow, that's good. How many ounces of iguana fat did you use in this recipe? Like a lot? This is 12 ounces. 12 ounces of iguana fat. Wow. Those are cute little jars. Oh, my God, that's good. Have to fight somebody at, I mean, at the end stiff, of this that's thing. Stiffy right there. I do like that logo. That's great. Yeah, that's a sweet mug. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's so great. Kevin is pouring this hot butter rum. Into oh. a custom mug. <laughs> Listen, these custom mugs you speak of. Do we got? Do we have a modest amount or a high amount of custom mugs you can buy? Oh yeah, we've got plenty. A lot. Not. It's not a modest run like the fucked up deer stand calendar run. Oh well, well. If it, if people buy. That's them, a that's fill glass. Oh, no, that's, <laughs> that's yours, Cal. I know you're a big uh, vacation. Fan. Okay. So go. Yeah. If you if you want to get uh, I got I got to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. So let's say you're wandering over to the auction house of oddities. While there, go over and check out where you can get our. Uh, you can go find the inaugural, not inaugural, the one and only Fish Axe Revenge sweet ass mug. What's on it? It's on it is like it's like um, a Southeast Alaska uh, North Pole theme. It's got totem poles. It's got oh. The totem poles and the North Pole. Totem pole, North Pole Santa stuff. Beautiful mug, nice taper to it, black, gorgeous. It's got an iguana on it. I didn't even notice the damn iguana. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll be drinking out of this till the day I die. <laughs> uh, also, can I? So, anybody else got? Everybody like the cookie? Yeah, oh, that's pretty great. Good. Good. That's very good. good I iguana another one, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Open the second box. That was good. I've been replaced. That was good. <laughs> this drink is like freaking Sammy Hagar. Eat your heart out, man. <laughs> wow, that is a stiffy. I'm gonna put these cookies right in the middle. Anybody who needs needs wants more. Is it Kevin? It's almost like any, meringue, uh, meringue like. You right? got any crack conk? <laughs> Whoa! Not at the moment. What's that? I said it's almost meringue-like. What's that? The cookie? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! It's like a super dry. Yeah. It's airy. Yeah. It's a. It's an easy recipe. You whip the fat with confectioner sugar, and then um, spices and flour, and that's it. And then you just have to work with the dough really cold because it'll melt in your hands. Like even when you're trying to roll it into a ball, it'll just pass off. That cookie's how you got fan favorite. Top Chef. Yeah, this is it. This is my. That's yours. I don't know what that is. It's built for a straw. Video game. You gotta kind of have to drink the corner of it. It's it's an arcade cabinet. Got it. Oh. Oh. (laughs) All right. So yeah, check out the mugs, and I want to talk about the. I'm gonna talk about a couple things. Uh. So. No joke. (laughs) Are we good? 
I'm getting thrown off. Okay, I'm going to talk about a couple I'm things. already buzzed, so yes, we're good. <laughs> yeah, that's a stiff drink. <laughs> oh, it's a real stiff drink. Yeah, yeah, you can tell. It's been about not being able to tell how strong it is. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, I don't want you to get so lit you can't talk about no, those ducks. Oh, I've, I've never had they put their drum. cloacas together, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. The meter that meet the the. <laughs> Listen, that wasn't because of that. That, that wasn't because of that. Wow, this is working super no, fast. No, it wasn't because of that. TheMeatEater.com. You can go there and find the Fish Axe Revenge mugs. Also, you can go pay a visit to the House of Oddities auction site. We got an update, though. I don't think any of the people that were going to do this are here. We had three employees <laughs> that were, were playing. We had plugged this already. They were auctioning off a... that. That the highest bidder would be able to select a tattoo the size of a quarter, which they would get on their body. All proceeds to the Land Access Initiative. Wonderful gesture. Chester, Spencer, who runs the Trivia program. Seth, we're all going to get these 25 cent tattoos. It turns out we have to cancel this. (laughs) (laughs) We can't do it. I, I resisted. There's just a lot of issues. There's a lot of there's a lot of legal problems. <laughs> <laughs> and normally, like when someone comes and tells you about legal problems, I'm always like, eh. but we did, they they got to think of something else to do. But you're gonna have to just explain one of these problems. Just something. Give me something. They are employees, and there's certain issues with like um auctioning off employees' bodies in some yeah, way. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, it just, it got, it got a little thorny. It got, <laughs> we got plenty of other ways to raise money. It got a little thorny. I'm sure they're disappointed. I haven't even talked to the sons of bitches about it, but mm. we're not doing the tattoo thing. That's lame. Got shot down hard. <laughs> shot was, down hard. I was totally on board with that idea. Listen, we got people writing in, they want to send in like, uh, let me give you an example. I can't want to be in the thing. People wanting to send in like weird stuff that we've had to reject. There's a lot of things we've had to reject. There's a lot of things We've had to go to a lawyer, like our attorney, and then get his take on it. Like even like Buckman juice. But I think Buckman juice we got the okay. <laughs> you don't <on>. say. <laughs> yeah, auctioning off a jar of urine. Auction like it's all very. It's hard to auction stuff off. There's a lot of complications, a lot of legal issues when you're auctioning stuff off. Right now, so the auction house of bodies is going to take a pause. It'll come back swinging when we get it restocked. But here's the deal. Right now, as we speak, my spear gun which has been all over the damn place. And I would point out, before it was my spear gun, it was Greg Font's spear gun. Very well-traveled spear gun. A tour of Doug Duren's farm by Doug himself. You bid on this package. You spend four hours driving around Doug Duren's farm, eating cheese curds, talking about his conservation program and also the access program he's trying to get on. So to help other landowners navigate, understand complexities around how to have a profitable farm that does good for wildlife. Uh, we got a baseball bat signed by Polar Bear Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets. Two-time, uh, what do they call that thing he always wins? Home run derby. Two-time home run, home derby. run derby winner. Concert tickets trampled by turtles in a meet and greet with Dave Simonette. Tra- you go to the Trampled by Turtles concert, you go backstage, you hang out with Dave. Simonette. Simonette? Mm-hmm. So it's still big. Simonette. Listen, yeah. man, he might think it's that. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Kenyon signed tree saddle from the Back 40 Project. An original brick, and we covered this. I'm not going to recover it. It's just true. An original brick 
from Jim Bridger's General Store in Missouri. I kept one for my personal oddities collection. Spencer kept one for his oddities collection. A third brick from Jim Bridger's General Store is up. Tons of artwork. Lionfish fin jewelry. Corinne's Crystal Critter collection of squirrel feet. Quartz silver jewelry. Brody's turkey foot flipping the bird. So bird giving you the bird. Who doesn't like that? And more. On top of that. So that's all the auction house stuff. What's the free thing in the auction house right now? Like that you just sign up for to win? Uh, the Yeti Hopper. Oh, yeah. Sign up. There's also thing you go there for free and sign up to win. That way you don't have to bid. You know, if you don't want to bid on stuff, you can just go win something for free. Uh, we also got a bunch of gift cards down there. So you can get uh, gift cards ranging. I don't know what the cap is. A gift card range from 10 bucks to 1500 bucks. Redeem it at checkout. Uh, there. Now, here's the deal. So you remember when we had on... Well, first, we're going to talk about this. Kevin, talk, give a pitch on safflower oil. Yeah, this is like one of the new items that we've added to the meat eater store that I'm actually super excited about. So um, we get asked all the time, like questions about um, like favorite cooking oils, and especially in our recipes where we say neutral oil. And so um, we have had a chance to work with this really cool farm in Montana that is producing organic safflower oil. And for those people who don't know what safflower is all about, planting safflower in lieu of like alfalfa or corn or something like that is an enormous boon for the environment. Like the the volume of water that is saved planting safflower, which um, for all you health food folks, like you've seen gr- the grain camet out in the stores, like camet safflower is the same thing. So, um, and so this, this oil is not only has no flavor basically, which is great for frying, sauteing, whatever the case may be. It has an enormously high smoke point, so um, it won't burn and give that kind of bitter flavor. But my favorite thing is that it, it has a really low what's called transfer rate, meaning that you can fry fish, deep fry fish, and then fry French fries right behind it, and you won't taste fish at all. No, that's, no, that's, um, that's too bad. Yeah, I know. That for you, that's, yeah, you're like, boomer. Um, we could throw something else in there. We can blend it with something with was, a high transfer rate for you. I'll put some fish oil in there it. There you go. Yeah, some omega-3s in it. Um, and it's also really good for you. You know, it's super high in oleic acid, which is good for for lowering bad cholesterol levels. So it's just kind of a superfood, and it's it's made here in the United States, and so it's cool that and we can And it's from a Montana safflower field? Yeah, That's exactly. Sweet. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, the safflower barn. How'd you get hooked up to those guys? Actually, Sam James, the guy who does all of our sort of merchandising, knows them personally. And so um, I brought up that I wanted to use safflower oil for a recipe that we were doing videos for, and he was like, oh, I know some guys, and then put two and two together. So That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's cool. That's great. What's it, where's the price at, like, compared to just buying olive oil or avocado? Oil? Well, so, you know, olive oil uh, can be all over the board. You know, it can be super cheap because it's crap, and it can be really expensive if it's good. Avocado oil is pretty expensive. I would say that this lands comparably to canola, sunflower, oh. grapeseed, all those kind of oils. Is safflower the flower from the camet? Yeah, grain? exactly. That, right, oh, right, wow. exactly. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Oh. Yep. Uh, the other day I was on, I was getting on an airplane in Ketchikan, um, Alaska and a guy, a logger was getting on and he'd be like, how do you know he's a logger? He had uh, like <laughs> everything about the guys. He had a logging, he had a timber products hat. Okay. He had a logger shirt. Those like striped logger shirts. Right. With the sleeves cut off short, which they do like every, he's just a logger. He's getting on the plane and there's a dude that like knows him on the plane ahead of him. The guy says to him, this is the first time I've seen you without suspenders. And he said, I realized that suspenders don't make as good of a tourniquet as a belt. 
Yeah. So I switched to a belt. The guy then said, well, why don't you just wear both? To which he replied. Which is common, I feel like. A lot of those dudes wear both. To which he replied, too much rigging. (laughs) (laughs) He he didn't reference GQ magazine saying that you shouldn't do that, that that's a fashion faux pas. Too much rigging. Too much, too much strappage. So reason I bring it. Oh, go ahead. Similar circles. That as to both. In a group of foresters, I overheard the conversation. Never trust a man who wears both a set of suspenders and a gut strap. Hmm. Because why? It seems like they don't know whether they're coming or going. Oh, okay. they're, kind of the, they're not committed. <laughs> they're not. I'll committed. tell you what, man. When they uh, eat the wrong thing, and you know that's a lot of stuff you got to do. That might have been what he meant with a lot of rigging. Is if in an emergency situation. When you're already like undoing your pants as you head into the bathroom, it's just like more. You got those suspenders under a jacket. Kel shared me. Was that you that shared this story with me? Kel shared me a great story where a guy. No, that was dirt. Oh, dirt myth. Garrett yeah. Smith shared me a story of a guy that all day, he's a heavy equipment operator. And all day he's smelling uh, what he feels is he's smelling human excrement all day. <laughs> but he can't place it. It's not on his boots. Can't place it. I'm pretty his... sure that's like a prerequisite to duck hunting is at some point a waiter <laughs> strap ends up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He eventually realizes that it, his his suspender had gotten down in the bowl and caught a load. So then there it is like off inches from his chin all day. <laughs> but he can't figure out where, the, where it's emanating from. It's a harrowing tale. Man, between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never ending. I'm talking about the the, the subscriptions, the monthly dings on your credit card. Well, thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. Meaning, you know, like, let's say there's like a show that comes out and you want to watch it and you wind up doing like this free trial and you forget about it. And then two years later, you realize you're paying those hosers 12 bucks a month for something you don't use. It finds that stuff, cancels it and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand... 
strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Dr. Adam Lazara. So, 100 episodes ago. Alan. What did I just say? Adam. See, man. <laughs> but I did that in the past, though. A very influential episode with Dr. Alan Lazaro from Michigan. Uh, we did one called Bleeding Out. And it was about, uh, we covered a lot of stuff about medicine and, and wilderness medicine. And had an enormous amount of feedback, including we've gotten multiple stories of people, including one in our Campfire Stories tale of people who heard that podcast. I think we got like three or four people now, four, who heard that podcast and then said they would have never had thought to apply a tourniquet properly, but save people's lives, including a guy that saved his father's life. His father got shot in a hunting accident. A dog stepped on a gun, blew his father in the arm, and he remembered hearing a guy on some podcast, he couldn't even remember where it was at a time, describing how to properly apply a tourniquet. And they attributed this with saving the guy's life. Um, we had another guy recently write in that this is where kind of this brings Lazara and this whole tourniquet thing together. Lazara just published a piece in, what's that thing called, Corinne? Wilderness and Environmental Medicine Journal. Yeah. So Adam Lazara just published a piece in the, hit it again, Brody. Oh, there it is. Wilderness and Environmental Medicine Journal. About TSRIs. You might be like, what the hell is a TSRI? Tree stand related injuries. This is fascinating because he's in Jackson County, Michigan, and he's an emergency room doctor. And he realized that he's treating so many tree stand injuries that he got interested in it. In this thing, he found that 
what he hadn't done in the past is when he was looking at data around tree stand injuries, he was only looking at admitted trauma patients. So not people sent home. And he realized it was skewing what he's looking at. So he started looking at non-admitted, like people that weren't, the people that were treated and sent home. Um, and came up with some pretty like surprising statistics around how much, how many tree stand injuries there are. 5.73 cases. There's 5.73 tree stand injuries in, in one, in a season. 5.73 tree stand injuries per 10,000 hunters in his county. Consistent with prior studies, he showed the most common tree stand injuries sustained were spinal column fractures, lower extremity injuries. He found that alcohol use was low and harness use in those that have fallen is low. The last one is kind of a no-duh, he says, but it's good to mention since we know harnesses aren't breaking a bunch. So low harness use, seeing high incidents of accidents and tree stand injuries and he published this whole thing up and just so happens we'd also gotten a story from this dude recently another guy applied a tourniquet based on lazara's description of tourniquets on the podcast his friend was putting in a tree stand fell was free falling his arm got wedged in the crotch of a tree which gave him a compound fracture he said he could hear his buddy squalling and when he ran under the tree he had to move out of the way because of, um, he said he couldn't, this is a quote, I couldn't stand beneath him. It was raining blood on me. Oh, sweet. Yeah, this is a gruesome one. It's man. a gruesome story. Literally yeah. the name of a Slayer song. Yeah, exactly. By the way. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Gruesome tale. So we've been working these guys, North American Rescue. Like, like this is largely based off that like bit of education we got about how to deal with like arrow injuries, uh, gunshot injuries, major injuries like that. So we work with these guys at North American Rescue to make like a like a like it's a very custom kit. It doesn't exist, but it's like a hunter. It's the Meat Eater Hunter Series Acute Trauma Care Kit. So it's all this life-saving equipment for severe injuries, gunshot wounds, broken bones, major blood loss, all in one thing. And tourniquet stuff and how to use stuff. We also got that up, which I think is like a good thing. And I've been trying so hard to be more diligent about carrying my freaking tourniquet, man. You been carrying yours? Yes, sir. Duh, harrowing stories. I think that like the thing is, I think a lot of people that, that, it's like to be prepared in the field, to be prepared for, for a gunshot injury. I think you're sort of, a lot of people maybe aren't comfortable with it because you have, because then you're acknowledging that there could be a gunshot injury. Yeah. You're admitting things could go wrong. You know what I mean? You're sort of saying like like that someone's not being safe. Yeah. You're like, well, if I do that, does that mean that I feel that there's something dangerous about firearms? Like, who am I to run around, you know? And I think that's part of what trips you up. It's like, to you're taking your kids out, right? And you say to your wife, like, oh, let me grab my quick clot and my big tourniquet in case someone gets shot. You'd rather be like, oh, no, it's no risk. 
Yeah, but yeah, they we'll could also get a stob stuck in their leg and have, you know, severe bleeding or sure. whatever, too. I'm just saying, yeah. it's like a little, maybe I shouldn't say people. In my personal psychology, I have felt that carrying like a gunshot kit is sort of acknowledging a thing that I wasn't like comfortable acknowledging. Maybe lurking around in the back of my brain. I guess being a guide, it's uh, like you, uh, uh, you've been forced to acknowledge that for a, a long time. And what, what's interesting is just even this year, I'll kind of lay my kit out when it's appropriate and be like, hey, just so you know, like in this little blue kit here, mm-hmm. I have. That's a good idea. These things. And I've never gotten a, holy shit, is something bad going to happen? You know, it's always like, yeah. it's more of a calming factor of like, oh, mm. that's good we are prepared. So the, the acute trauma care kit, like the hunter's care kit we put together, you could go, like, you could, if you look at the damn thing, you can see the list. Like, you could go assemble it. I think it'd be kind of a pain in the ass to assemble it. You could go make your own, but we have this one. It's like pack up, packaged up, ready to ship, ship, shrink wrapped. Even if you go to the product description, you could read what's in it and like make your own kit so that you're covered for this kind of thing. But man, the amount of stories that we've gotten from people that have dealt with like very serious accidents in the field, I do think that people should take this seriously and be open to having like a few more ounces in your thing. And man, it has become like very apparent to me after all of the feedback we've gotten from people who've dealt with just some harrowing accidents. At the very least, just keep it under the backseat of the truck type deal. Yeah. Even if you're not going to pack it around. And tell folks where it's at. Mm-hmm. And learn how to apply that freaking tourniquet, man. All right, Sean, you ready? You're not too lit, are you? No. No, it probably <laughs> should be to talk about this, though. You know, in Hemingway's novels, you know what they call being drunk? Hmm. Being tight. Tight. Yep. In Farewell to Arms, they're like, I'm feeling a little tight. Not lit. You tight? I'm tight. You're loose. No, I'm loose. You're loose. (laughs) I'm good. Can't be tight. Okay, lay it out for us. Sean uh, has a recurring waterfowl segment. Yeah. Fresh. New. He's supposed to come on every month and hit us with waterfowl segments. And this is... As our resident waterfowl expert. This is kind of one of the heavy hitters. This is a a request I made. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's out of this world. Well, it would seem. (laughs) Yeah. In my view, the two most interesting thing about ducks is how complicated it is when you're moving ducks you shot, how hard it is to be legal. <laughs> right. Once you read what you're supposed to do, no one is legal. Right, and have oh, has no anyone... One but Sean Weaver is the only person that legally moves ducks <laughs> right. that I know. When you read about what you're supposed to do. And it's like no TSA agent or anyone has ever sat there and been like, okay, does this tag have... Your name, your address, your hunting license number, what species you shot, like where it was shot. The date you shot it. The date you shot it. No one moves ducks legally except for Sean Weaver. (laughs) And now no one moves more about duck penises. Okay, so this is a thing I've actually been enamored with because it's a fun thing when you're, you know, having some drinks to like (laughs) randomly bring up is that birds in general, like most birds don't have penises. Um, 97% of birds don't have penises and there's like a lot of discussion among researchers of like why that is what, like, why did they evolve to not have penises? Um, one of the people that has done like more research into ducks and waterfowl on like the genitalia side than anyone is this gal named Patty Brennan. 
And she kind of has a theory of that, um, like the evolution of birds not having penises is like a female choice evolution. Hmm. Explain that to me. So pretty much for birds with no penises, they have what they would call the cloacal kiss, right? Where like there's no penis, so they have to. Is that a Slayer song? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually the name of my new band. (laughs) Um, For like the cloacal kiss to work, the female has to be receptive to the male. Okay. And she pretty much has to, for better lack of terms, like prolapse and like push out her cloaca to allow him to pretty much just spray and pray and then like (laughs) accept it back in and then thus she's fertilized. Did, did I did I tell you about seeing a snapping turtle with a prolapse cloaca this spring? No. It was locked. It was copulating. Really? I just saw one. And I said to my boy, watch this. And I snuck over and jacked that turtle up by the tail. Uh-huh. Two came up. Oh, really? Two came up. Heavy as shit. <laughs> I got a picture of an Instagram holding the turtle up. Yeah, no, I need to see The that. other one fell down. Yeah, you ruined it. Well, I did. And then... <laughs> My kid's like, he wanted to keep it, and I felt bad, put it back in. But it's, I, I use the word engorged. Mm. The cloaca on the one I was holding, which would have been the one on top, was like I've never seen. It was like pushed out, pushed out and inverted. Yeah. Which I didn't know happened. Scared me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how, but so that's how like most birds go through the whole process. But then you have like 3% of birds, a lot of which are like ducks, geese, the ostrich, like that. <laughs> like still- <laughs> ducks, geese, and ostriches? Yeah. It's, well, it's just like a random set of birds that have like maintained keeping a penis. So they do feel that it went that way. Like that the flow over time went away from, not toward. Right. Yeah. But ducks specifically went like full arms race. Okay. And so kind of what's happened with ducks is ducks are naturally very aggressive breeders. Like you go hang out in any park in the spring when mallards are chasing a hen around and you should probably shield some kids' eyes. Like, well, there's some, yeah, they'll kill them. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's full fledged like gang rape and they often drown the hens and, there's necrophilia it, that goes on. Mm-hmm, yeah. All sorts of stuff. And so the the drakes have like developed, especially in certain species within ducks, the drakes have um you know developed like longer penises and like so I'll get into some specifics. For example, the drakes have a I believe it's corkscrew, or maybe it's counterclockwise corkscrew penis. Can't remember which way which one goes. There was, there was a limerick about this. After the show, I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> and the so as like a evolution of this like arms race of drakes and hens, pretty much having to try to like work it out. Of drakes are being too aggressive, and hens are trying to find a way to stop the aggression. Yeah. And like slow down the aggression, and actually be able to pick who their mate is. Um, like hens have 
evolved to have a reverse corkscrewed vagina, the opposite direction of the Drake's. Left-hand thread. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's misthreaded always. And so you even begin to wonder, like, how reproduction even happens. You would think that would be, like, throwing it back in the face of, you know, what biology is supposed to do, which is reproduce. Sure. Yeah, you think, like, all that would lend itself toward ease of reproduction. Right. Yeah. But it gets, like, way, way crazier than that. The drakes have developed, like, hooks on the ends of their penis. And they have like an explosive erection to where they can get to like full erection in a third of a second. And wow. like it's, it's the amount of so things. It's a little slow, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's like college kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable, man. And uh, like instantaneous. Instantaneous. And then, like, in addition to that, they have abnormally large penises. Like the Argentine ruddy duck is like the average penis is 10 inches or something like that. And that's about how long the duck is. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's as long as the body. So all this goes to say that like the Drakes have evolved all these really bizarre um, like genitalia functions to try to be able to continue forcing themselves upon hens. It's an arms race. It's an arms race. And the hens have just as well evolved to like be able to still to ward it off to ward it off and have mate selection and part of that is dead end pouches in the vagina which is one of the most bizarre things that as you like look at as you look at there's this graph here he's which gonna, is mind-blowing <laughs> he's gonna refer us to graph <laughs> blank yeah but relationships between male phallus length and female vagina. And it's a graph showing phallus length versus number of vaginal pouches. Phallus length versus number of vaginal spirals laid out in a point system. Yeah. And it's... Is this an intra-species graph or an inter-species graph? So you have some species that it's... This is inter-species. Okay. So you have some species that haven't necessarily yes, gotcha. evolved yeah. this way. The one that's like the best case or like the one that's easiest to refer to all the time is the mallard, right? Because we know how aggressive they are as breeders. America's duck. Mm-hmm. And then you have like bluebills. They're much more innocent and not near as <laughs> vile. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, but what you really find is like these ducks, the longer the penises they have, the more the hens have like developed dead ends within the vagina to thwart, you know, to thwart rape. Can they control that? Like I'm yeah, going to give so them the falsy? That's where it gets crazy is you would think it would fly in the face of like their ability to reproduce. But um, there's a different researcher. His name's slipping me. He did a study on fertilization rates and pretty much when the hens are receptive and actually allow mating they can relax the walls of the vagina and allow the wrong threaded corkscrew to actually get home to where it needs to and when they don't allow um like when they don't want the drake to be breeding when they don't want to mate fertilization success is only like three percent Hmm. And then it was like, it was in the 70s, 
percent when they do accept mating. So it's so worked. they have some f- effective deterrence. Yeah, it's like actually, but functional. Getting, it's just a wild. Here's functional. where I'm getting a little a little confused. Is it, so if this is to prevent aggressive breeding, why not just let the first one breed you? <laughs> well, it doesn't like him. Why I guess. would the other ones not still breed? Like birds, like when birds have a nest, they have a nest full of many males' eggs in it. I yeah, but what I'm 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 getting, I don't see how that like detours aggressive breeding. I get your question. Well, I could I, I could it, see it doesn't deter the actual aggression, right? What it de- deters is that actual Ma- fertilization. Yeah, like right. Ma- you're the, just saying okay, so. I was under the impression that these pouches were playing some role in deterring aggressive male behavior. No. But it sounds like what you're saying is the pouches are so that the female doesn't allow insemination until right. she's Right. So ready, like pretty until she's exactly she's able to do mate selection. She ultimately like gets bred and raped, but the penis doesn't find its way home to actual insemination. They don't call it rape in uh, duck biology. Though, do they? <laughs> oh, probably what not. The but that's they, what it is. What do they is. use? Like court? What? What do they? What do they say? Forced copulation. Forced yeah. copulation. But now, yeah. are the hens doing anything to prevent the, what Matt's talking about? Is it like reverse thread or well <laughs> on demand? <laughs> no. So what they do to prevent it, right, is all the things you see during a courtship flight in the spring, where you watch these hens like flying through trees, flying through telephone wires, doing everything they can. To like shake off, you know, that's, that's what you get to watch every March, right? It's like there'll be 12 mallards or drakes on one, one hen chasing her around and she's doing everything she can to run them into fences, running them into trees, like run them into each other. One Um, of the more horrific videos of it is on nature's metal. Yeah, they've got some pretty wild. He does some where, I mean, where, I mean, he's, I think on nature's metal, they got him where the drakes kill the hen. Yeah, and that's like, it's unfortunately pretty common, especially in the water, because you'll get five, six drakes all trying to pile on. And what they, as you watch these videos, as you watch how they breed, they, you know, grab her by the back of the head to like force her under them. Well, they end up forcing her head under the water and drowning her. Yeah, ducks are not exactly the most polite, especially mallards, ruddy ducks. Like you see a ruddy duck swimming around. They seem like a pretty innocent, innocent bird. Oh, but. cute little buggers. <laughs> you good there? Yeah. Thanks, man. What are you gonna work on next time you do a duck report? Man, how, uh, how mild the fall has been and like how you see this, uh, shifting of the, like people's duck seasons and success in the duck season back or like, um, you know, the kind of the delay of the migration every year. I think we'll talk about that. That's going to be your next duck report. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Warm. Yeah. Falls, because switch migration. Because unfortunately I've had to like tackle that, <laughs> tackle that myself this year. Sure, man. Last month. I had a really fantastic conversation with my, with my seatmate on my flight coming back in, <laughs> into Bozeman that on don't happen Saturday. Very often. It was great. Oh. Uh, this, this, uh, lady Mary who was just, uh, like talking about birds and wind currents and and things like that. And she was telling me about her casual observations of the lack of sandhill cranes on their property uh, this year compared to years past. And she believes it's due to smoke. 
Mm. And I said, yeah, well, there's some interesting studies out there. Yeah, in regards that, to that. That, smoke, that smoke changing photo periods. So there's a, not to like, we'll, we'll have to talk about this one as well. Um, Delta waterfowl and th- they're kind of like one of their main biologists, Dr. Chris Nikolai, he has uh, done, or they have a study of the smoke impact in California, Washington, Oregon on the Thule geese, which is like a kind of subspecies of speckle belly. They have a super compelling research on how the smoke has completely altered how those speckle bellies migrate. Really? Mm-hmm. Like the last few years specifically. Are you going to put that into your duck report? It sounds like I should. Please. Oh, yeah. that's, uh, we Stay tuned for that, that shit, on man. Cal's Week in Review. Obviously, you're a few few episodes behind. That's no big deal. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's worth uh, worth hitting again. It's a good one. I want to hear about it. I want to hear about it. All right. Don't do that part. Do the other part. Okay. Confer with Cal. Yeah. Sean's Duck Report. Is that what it's called? Should we call it that? Sure. We can call it that. Sean's Duck Report. I like Next it. Next time coming up. Add like a quacking sound effect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude. Well, we were talking about, man, it's my funniest story. I know like the, the, the funniest story I know the punchline is remember, uh, oh my God, someday I'll tell it. <laughs> yeah. Just leave that hanging, Steve. Uh, yeah, the, the lead up is beautiful. Dude, it's a great story. A couple, couple quick questions. Then we're going to move on. A guy wrote in this. Is, I, I know about these things. You know, whoever came up with floral scented trash bags. I'm not a violent man. I don't like to. I don't like to talk bad about people. I think they should find that person and do something real bad to them. Yeah, my wife buys those things, and I've almost made this same mistake a couple of Nothing times. Nothing smells worse than that smell. Yeah. It's the oh, worst you... smell on the planet. And then you combine it with trash. Well, it eliminates the multi-purpose part of that thing. I don't like using trash bags. Period. I'm a loose trash guy because I don't know why somebody would manufacture something specifically for trash. It's a good point. Right, we're gonna take all these natural resources and combine them to make this thing that we just put in the garbage. Isn't um, that neat? You know, I got a real. It. We should share gripes. I got a real gripe with Christmas wrapping paper. <laughs> I stick my wife's presents in our pillowcases <laughs> because it serves the same purpose. It hides what's in it. <laughs> I'm serious. It's how, do you uh, how, does she, how does she feel about it? She laughs about it. Okay. So she started doing mine in my clothes. So I, <laughs> I, I get up that, that morning, I take the pillow out of the pillowcase, I stick the present in the pillowcase, roll it up, and put it under the tree. And then it's like, it hides what it is, you have the joy of discovery, I put the pillow back in the pillowcase, but, the, the, like, but to buy a thing, to like put on a thing to hide what something is, and then take the thing and put it in the garbage just strikes me as strange. What if you reuse paper, or like My you save the paper that... Oh, Grandma Gift used to drive us. You get. No, she would, would sit there. It would take her five minutes to open a present because she was trying to save the paper. She didn't want to tear the wrapping paper. Yeah, if you got kids, you're not reusing. Yeah, that. that's. And not we happening. had to take turns, so it was just excruciating. You know what else my Grandma Coral would do? This is my mom, my maternal grandmother. She had a fake tree that she left decorated, and she had a, like a giant garbage bag that went over it. And every year that tree was the same. She would at the end of Christmas, she'd put the garbage bag over the tree, carry it down into her cellar down the stairs. And so if we're playing down there, like there's the tree at Christmas time, she just carry it all back up and just plug it in. I like it. Yeah. Very, very like efficient use of Christmas tree space. Uh, so this guy wrote in, so he was out at a ranch doing some hunting and the ranch guys, he got a deer, the ranch guys packaged it in floral scented trash bags. 
when he's eating the meat, mm. he couldn't figure out what it was. And his wife put it together. It's whatever that garbage is on those bags. And that's not coming like from on, flowers. That's no, chemicals. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the meat. Yeah. It's so not I'm going to put off. this one to Kevin. What would this... He doesn't want to throw it away, but it's very off-putting to him. Yeah. I Well, I mean, there's an argument that maybe he should throw it away. That stuff is really toxic. Hmm. Uh, they, I mean, there's been significant conversation in this country about outlawing those floral trash bags because the industrial fragrances that they're using. Like, So imagine this. Like, How in the world would you get a fragrance to adhere to a piece of plastic? Like, It's been engineered to to not go away. Like it sticks on purpose. I mean, like glad bags, for example, it's, it's a piece of plastic, a sheet of fragrance and another piece of plastic and they're all laminated to mm. each other. And so, mm. um, and so it won't go away. And so what he is eating is, is truly just industrial chemical. Yeah, but that's not going to um, kill him. So just tell him, no, how, it's to not gonna tell kill him how to fix it up. I mean, the only answer to fixing it up is like the same thing you would do with, you know, when you look at like traditional cuisines that, that frankly use a lot of meat that's like pushing the edge of rancidity. Sure, yeah. It's just spicing. It's aggressively spicing. It's like when you read in medieval recipes how it's like tons of like mace. Right, mace, exactly. Nutmeg, yeah. Cinnamon, nutmeg, allspice. If you look at like Sichuan cuisine, like in mainland China, the reason for such an aggressive amount of spicing is that just realistically, they're using meat that's sort of past that freshness point. So that's his only option at this point is to sort of engineer around it. So if he's like, "Mm, what is that lavender? I don't know. Maybe I'll go with making, make some Provencal dishes where lavender is already an ingredient, I guess. And go that route, you know, I would think another option just be make like a, like a, just some real spicy ass sauce. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, Yeah. yeah, just add a lot of stuff to it and it'll kind of mask it. That being said, um, the way they accomplish the scented trash bag, if it's like a glad bag, that's one version. There are like the natural ones. Um, and they basically use like human grade perfume mixed into baking soda. And then the bags are dusted with it. Why so it could be a one handful of, of rose so, petals in there. Yeah, man. there you go. Yeah. That sounds cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's no, there's no comment necessary, but it's an interesting story. A guy was gutting a deer. This guy's in my home state of Michigan. Gutting a deer. And was like messing around with the stomach contents. Check this out. Got real bad poison ivy. Realized that it had been eating poison ivy leaves. According to him, been eating poison ivy leaves and he got a bad reaction. It was the first time he ever got a reaction to poison ivy. I'd like to, I'd like to challenge. Well, I didn't see the gut pile. I wasn't there. I have gotten poison ivy from, I got bad, bad, bad poison ivy from a wild pig from just touching it. Because they, they like bedding that stuff and rolling that stuff. So I would challenge him to be like, are you sure it was, he says, deer, cattle, goats, all like to eat poison ivy. I'd be curious if that deer wasn't just have it, the oils on its hair. Right. And in the handling, that's why your arms broke out. He's attributing it to the fresh greens that were on his wrist and forearm. Oh, I know what it was. Okay. <sighs> Screwing this up. Shot it with a crossbow. When he dispatched it, shot it again a second time, and it cut the esophagus. And that caused some mm-hmm. uppage of stomach contents. And he's, he's saying, he's thinking he got it off the poison ivy. Here's some, who, whose deer is it? So the guy writes in, he shoots a doe. The doe goes down, and he just sitting in his, stays in his blind, and he's watching the doe out in the field. All of a sudden, a bobcat comes out and starts eating the doe. The guy doesn't, isn't properly permitted to kill a bobcat, but kills the bobcat because he says 
that you can shoot a predator if it's attacking your property. Game Warden had a different opinion and fined the guy. And the guy thinks that it was not fair. But if you're just asking my opinion on it, I would go with what the Game Warden says in this case. He says, if you'd have walked out there. Yeah, if you get out of your stand, that <laughs> bobcat like, is from here to Timbuktu. It just feels too. a little dubious, man. I mean, with all due respect, it's like, I feel like you could have been like, hey. Yeah, I mean, bobcats are pretty scary. But he shot animal. it and got fined for shooting the thing. Which, like, no disrespect, but I mean, I, I feel that that I would have had to have done the same thing as the warden did. Yeah, I don't think the guy is just very familiar with the habits of of the bo- of bobcats. Yeah, I think he's like probably actually got like a legal argument to be made. But the thing is, you just could have got out of the tree stand yeah. yep. for sure. Got fined. Another dude, uh, this guy wrote in, he's blood trailing a deer. Hits a deer and he's blood trailing it. And it keeps he keeps bumping it. So he decides to give it some time. And then the deer eventually crosses a neighbor's property. And boom, here's a shot in the neighbor's property. Turns out a 12-year-old kid sitting there and all of a sudden a buck runs up and beds down right in front of him. The 12-year-old kid gets it. And he's the kind of the question like, whose deer is it? He's saying, in this guy's case, he's like, he didn't really care. It's a little kid. I let him have it. But he talks about uh, one good turn doing another because then this guy's a taxidermist. <laughs> Got the business. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. $225. Yeah, there's a, no argument that that kid that it wasn't the kid's deer no, right legally I mean, no come on but the kids uh came around and did a 225 dollars freedom mount with nice. the taxidermist that'll put you in holiday good cheer God, those freedom mounts have gotten expensive or maybe they've always been expensive they're not expensive never if you do them yourself pay. how much were they i like know back in the i don't know that's the thing i think i always did them myself as long as there wasn't a, for a plaque couple. involved even, but yeah, even with no, bucks. they charge a lot of money to boil a skull now, man. Yeah, it's 150 bucks. I'm doing a skunk skull right now. Very excited about. Here, this will take you back out of holiday cheer. This guy wrote. This guy draws an elk tag in Pennsylvania. Okay, he gets a once in a lifetime archery bull elk tag. <laughs> so he sets to letter writing <laughs> with all the landowners around there, um, trying to get some permission so he can hunt Pennsylvania elk. I wonder if you sent one to Seth's, uh, you know, Seth Grandpa That's right has, there. Seth yeah. Grandpa has those Pennsylvania <laughs> yeah. elk on his property. Sends a letter out and, and gets this return. So he sends a letter out seeking permission. Dear Joe, thanks for at least asking about hunting on my property. Over the last 20 years, most hunters have just shown up uninvited, trespassing, and ignoring the no hunting signs I went to all the trouble to put up. I'm replying courteously because in 20 years, you are the very first hunter who has actually been arsed to ask. I don't know what that means. Arsed? I think that's just some kind of typo. It's got to be. I mean, I thought like. Arsed. Arsed. Like arse is what the Brits say. Call your butt. Yeah. Right. You've been butt to, but (laughs) you've been butted to ask. (laughs) Ask to ask. The answer is no. Here's where it takes a sour turn. <laughs> See, shit was going good. When I was reading the letter, I thought he got the permission. Yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm. Takes a sour turn. The answer is no. I do not allow hunting on my land under most circumstances. I do not approve of people entertaining themselves by killing stupid animals. This, this is like, this dude is one of the more interesting dudes. You would expect reading that sentence for it to go killing innocent animals. 
He does not approve of people entertaining themselves by killing. If they were smart, stupid animals. It'd be okay. If you told hey, can me. I, can I butt in real quick? <laughs> I just had to go to Merriam-Webster. Arst is an adjective. Concerned, bothered. Oh, oh so he was very good. Nice. Awesome. Makes this guy yeah. triply yeah. interesting. British slang. So. I want to get this guy on the podcast. He's got a good, so. uh, good vocabulary. So we think maybe this guy's British then. We should try to get him on the show. With the, with the Vermont anti-bear hunting. Okay, all right. I don't know. We'll just read his letter. He's not gonna, we're not going to get him on the show. <laughs> uh, where was he? Oh, he doesn't approve people entertaining themselves by killing stupid animals. If you told me you wanted to shoot some humans, you'd have to provide them. That would be okay. As long as you're all fully vaccinated and pick up the mess after yourself. <laughs> That's a real dark turn to asking for hunting In permission. the meantime, I suggest you revisit your assumptions as to what constitutes worthwhile game. What's that book? Sincerely. What's that book where the guy hunts? <laughs> most dangerous game. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. I was like, yeah, this guy's yeah, yeah. a big advocate for most. <laughs> that's, a, that's a new argument. Like, Is this guy prompting his own murder? Is he like suggesting that this guy show up and kill him? I don't know. We're all, we're gonna, when Crin does a pre-interview, we're going to find out okay. all the answers. That takes, that takes the holiday thing for a turn for worse. All right, now we're going to move on to a final. We're going to move on to a debate section here. We're going to talk about hunting and social media and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, that's when my brother Matt's joined us here today. I shouldn't say all kinds of other stuff. We're going to talk about social media, hunting. Uh, my brother Matt's here. He has a very, uh, does not like social media. Not doesn't like, doesn't no, like No, I don't hunting, like hunting social media. Doesn't like hunting social media. I don't, I, that's, I don't, that's not even true. Okay. Because there's a lot of good that can be done through social media. You for, don't like grip for, and grins. I, I don't like showing strangers what you shoot. So I don't like hunting TV as well. Either, but, but you were um, saying you you uh you're you're uh someone could go like if you want to get a very full like full fleshed out idea of Matt's perspective um black black rifle of all oddly black rifle coffee company um has a a full opinion piece by Matt going up on their website. Um, it, it's their the publication is called Free Range American. Yeah, I um, usually get all my news and opinion from Folgers dot com, but you can go over to <laughs> Free Range American and check it out. And it's weird. Like I thought it was weird for them because my understanding of Free Range American was that it has something to do with that last landowner and his uh, hunting philosophy. What's that? Free Range American. Uh, Come yeah, on, hunting on, Free hunt. Range Americans. I don't get it. What do I miss? The most dangerous, most dangerous game. game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. <laughs> because my understanding of Free Range American was the incentive was to, like, because we have, like, a suicide epidemic among veterans. And the intention was to inspire veterans to explore opportunities in the outdoors. Um, it was weird to me to, that, that they had interest in publishing a piece that was, in some ways, um, Ex- expressing like a level of concern with new people going out of doors. Just kind of a weird, I, I thought it was bold, you know, bold of them to, to do something that seemed to be decidedly at odds with their, with their mission. But uh, what, to lay out some of the research and things you did for the, for the piece. Because people can go read the piece. Um, the research I did? Well, mm-hmm. um, I, I guess I, I interviewed some people that, show strangers what they shoot and yeah. their, and their, and their motivations for, for doing it. 
Um, what did that, that, yeah, I was, I was, I'd like, yeah, I want to get into that. The, the, I'm really curious about the interview process. I also saw that, um, I think I was very surprised by, cause we, we've covered, uh, that, that I was surprised by the, the research around that hunting TV actually drove an increase in leasing. I'd love to hear where that, well, no, that's, that, that'd be that's fascinating just, to know where that's that came just, from. that's just speculation oh. on my, on they, my they, part. So they didn't do any kind of like, they didn't do any kind of like checking of that they, stuff. No, I, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's pretty clear. I mean, before we had, um, hunting social media and no, it was hunting. No, the, well, you yeah, whatever one you want to do. Like, I guess it's a double question. Well, let me, let me answer what I want to um, lay. I want to do the double question. Um, just, I got, I'm confusing two things. I, like I said, the interview, like, like you're sort of the interview process you conducted to find out what motivates people who post about social media, just how that went. Um, um, and I want to back and, up just a okay. second and say, I, I don't see this as opposed to black rifle coffee's mission to get, um, people with, uh, PTSD or other mental disorders that served in the middle military out hunting. I, I, uh. I don't think it's opposed to that at all. It's opposed to what I believe is um, a corruption in our motivations for hunting mm -hmm. that are caused by um, hunting social media. I think it's very, it's become so that a, a major driver um, in people going hunting now is not, let me just define what I call a traditional sportsman. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 these are the people I, I stand with. Um, and I, by defining this, it'll just make it the conversation go more smoothly if we have this vocabulary word in mind, because I won't have to keep repeating myself, but, um, I, I define a traditional sportsman as or sports person, a traditional hunter as someone that goes afield for meat, hide horns, um, personal enjoyment and the self-reliance sense of self-reliance that comes from providing for oneself. And I make a distinction between that, those folks and people that show strangers what they shoot. Um, like you think they're mute. Those are mutually exclusive people. Well, I, I'm not, I, I don't see any good in showing strangers what you shoot. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, I do think that a fair number of people that show people what they shoot, I mean, they're out there for, because they want to, I mean, on social media, is because they're interested in uh, getting likes, getting fame, in a lot of cases, getting corporate sponsors. Um, and I don't, I think of that as a illegitimate reason to go hunting. It's it's how, not, how, per, how pervasive do you think that is? Very, I it, think it's very. I I would say. So, I mean, it's anybody's guess, but I'd say that maybe. You know, if, if it wasn't for the, the allure of that, um, I don't know, I'm open to maybe a quarter less trucks at the trailhead. How can, how can anybody say with any definitive, definitively, but I, it doesn't matter really at the end of the day, I want all those people to go away because hunting's overcrowded now on public lands. And it's important that, um, people are out there for the right reasons. Of course, according to the North American model of, um, wildlife management, um, one of the tenets of that is that you should go a field for legitimate reasons. And I don't see, uh, fame and, and money and 
likes as a, a legitimate reason to be a field. So I guess I'd, I'd, I'd be, I struggle to understand a little bit about So globally, um, like your age demographic, globally, you guys make up 4%. 4% of people in your age demographic are on social media. I think in the country, it's like 12% of your age demographic are on social media. But what's weird is you land right in, like demographically, you land right in who hunts, okay? So you're like, I think it's like, you know, someone like late 40s, early 50s, white male is predominantly hunters. But the people in your age demographic are so poorly represented on social media. Social media is primarily made up of people in, you know, 18 to 24 use. If you just look at something like Instagram. So I'm just curious, how pervasive do you think the problem is? Like how many individuals do you think are out there who don't want the meat? I wouldn't say they don't or, want so, the so meat. So I should, let me, let me I mean, uh, I would say it's, I say, I would say it's, I don't know how pervasive it is. I'd like how many that, people, not that I'd they don't want that, it, but who, who wouldn't be there? Who, I said, like I said, a quarter. So you think 25? That, I mean, it's anybody's guess. It could be higher. I, I, I don't, I don't know, but oh, I no, think oh, that's oh, like oh. cocaine. When people show uh, people what they shoot on um, to thousands and hundreds or thousands of strangers and they get, oh boy, that's great. I think that is a major impetus. Let me ask you a question. Let well, me ask you a question. Okay. Have you ever... And be honest with me here. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had to go on a hunting trip mm-hmm. where, for work where you're going to film it mm-hmm. and you'd, you'd rather be at home with your wife and your kids? That's true whether I'm filming it or not. Okay. Well, then when you were out hunting that time, those I, I times. Miss, not that rather when be, you but were out, when you're out When you're out hunting, uh-huh. um, but when would and you'd rather be home with your kids? You're hunting because you're out there for fame and money. You're not. You'd rather be home with your kids. So that's what I'm saying. By making content out of it, it bastardizes the whole thing. Those times that you, you were out there with your hunting, when you'd rather be home with your wife and your kids, are times you were hunting for terrible reasons. You know, yesterday I went to uh, check a martin trap. We were out getting Christmas trees, but I wanted to go check a martin trap, and my wife was real annoyed with me because we had her parents with us and I had to cross the river and everybody couldn't go. And I brought a pack raft and I pulled my kids across and they, uh, there was a real steep slope. So I dragged them across in the pack raft and they played on the bank and I ran up in the woods. Um, I was really feeling like I ought to be with my wife and kids, but I was checking my Martin trap and I wasn't getting famous or rich. I was just checking my Martin trap. Well, you just admitted so, to me that you sometimes no, would I, rather be, you're out hunting, but you'd rather be home with your kids, but you've got to be out there because you're looking for the fame and money. And I'm saying, you said how pervasive it is. Mm-hmm. Is it, you, well, you no, do yeah. it, you do it. So I'm so, but I, I want to like in the pervasiveness issue, like if we consider the percent of what elderly white males that are why, why are we focused on that demographic? I'm, I'm just looking at who I'm trying I mean, to understand. You guys had to become social media hunters. This is only going to get worse and worse. I'm more concerned about what we're teaching our kids with this mm. with this 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 model. They're start they're starting out as social media hunters, and so they're starting out with this whole new incentive structure mm-hmm. that I find gross. If uh, and I'm really opposed to using it in the way that you know folks like yourselves use it where it's like showing people what you killed in hopes that they buy something. But you buy all kinds of outdoor products. 
I don't, I'm not on social media. I know, but I've been you, buying, I've been buying this. So, people no, like me, to act like this, the social media thing is like, they, they forget how new it is. It's only within the 10 years. I know, but, but that's, that's. So what, I, I didn't, I didn't, I never bought my products based on social media and I still don't. But social, a way to understand social media, the way that I think about social media is that, um, the oldest representational art we know about is perhaps 50, 60,000 years old where people were drawing hunting pictures on the walls of caves in Europe. Um, I think it is so completely different. I'm, I'm still talking. Let me just finish. Let me just wrap up my, my point. Uh, outdoor life, field and stream, sports, the field. Those magazines had their ascendancy in the post-World War II years. And they published images of people uh, with dead deer, with downed game to sell products. And then those, those magazines, they're, they're, all but done now, but they had a hundred year run of doing that. Uh, in the seventies, there were hunting shows when you, back when you had ABC, CBS and NBC in the seventies, there were hunting shows on mainstream television served to a broad. Well, well, I'm going to end up, dismiss, I'm going to end up dismissing the, pre, the premise. I'm going to end up dismissing the premise because okay. we've also always killed each other. Okay. So, so it's like, it's like it, that is, we've done it a long time. Isn't going to get you anywhere with me. But but you're not the, the the little problem you're running into is you're not um you don't know what I'm gonna say yet. Yeah, you're gonna say this is something we've always done, so it's good. No. Okay, let's see it. Let's hear it then. Um in fact, what you're saying plays into my point. I I could go on and on and on, but to, I'm just establishing the fact that for a long time people have engaged in uh taking photos of publishing books about publishing magazines about publishing television shows about brag boards and sporting goods stores all the packaging for all the honey i get it i get it about. where are you going here uh i would view social media as a continuation of something that's always gone on now if it's always been evil then i would think that that one would not have a problem with social media per se, but would have a problem with a hundreds of years old tendency to talk about hunting products and fishing products in the act. We're showing people in the act of being successful. Yeah. I have a problem with that. So that's what I'm saying. It in, almost seems like I believe in, I don't believe in using wildlife to, to sell products. So I, I guess that, that's it's what like, I, it's like when you, on those, t like those, it's like, in my mind, it's like, like kind of like when you're out hunting, when you'd rather be with your family at that point, it's like market hunting, which was banned in 1918. And I think of like using animal, dead animals to sell products as a form of, of market hunting. But, uh, but uh, here's like, what, wh who's, I guess like, what, what are the implications for you? Like, how does it affect your behavior? Crowding. Because if it affects no no it, i mean like you would buy but like you buy hunting gear and you, there's no way you buy any ammo or any hunting gear that doesn't market with the use of showing the product's efficacy does well, that does that does that create trouble for you as a consumer just don't have the don't have the dead animal in it that's your message to to manufacturers that's my message to everyone yeah so like if you buy a box of shells it's just too much of a chance that i mean it, it's inspiring people to go afield for terrible reasons. Um, and you know, are we like on board that like crowding is a major issue? Do we have to, do I have to make the case that that's, I mean, sure. 
Hunter's, cr- Hunter's point, yeah. Hunter's point to crowding as an issue. Let, let's, let's move on oh, to the crowding. Oh, big time. Yeah, let's big move time. on to the crowding. Over 80% of hunters Let me um, send a little... pick, pick their, where they're going to hunt, not based on anything else, but how many other hunters they think they're going to be um, out there. Over half of hunters uh, report um, abandoning hunting locations due, due to pressure. Um, these stats are from the practitioner's guide to... Um, recruitment, retention, reactivation of hunters. So these are, this is a group that's, it's, that's, uh, um, that's trying to overcome obstacles to recruiting new hunters. So if anyone was going to be able to, um, structure their, um, questionnaires in a way to, that would make crowding not come out as an issue, it'd be them. It is the dominant issue. I would say, um, I, let me, uh, let me, let me, let me just lay a little groundwork about some crowding issues and, or, or like increased interest issues. And, and then, and then again, I'd like to tuck into sort of how we derive and what, what leads them. Uh, COVID has been really interesting for, uh, these stats predate COVID that I'm talking about. Okay. Well, they're from 2016, but not the ones, which I'm is the about. same year that the fish and wildlife service based on some hokey survey was trying to say hunter numbers had dipped, uh, COVID we've seen, a Thirty-four in percent increase in RV purchasing, which kind of surprises. I would rather just stay away from COVID because it's like it's gonna it presumably go away if it doesn't. It's like I don't want to make this about the like the COVID hunting boom oh, uh, because I think that it's like I say it was crowded too crowded before that. It's 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 so crowded in fact that even now, like I wrote an article that was critical of the R three movement a year ago, and um. And now, and, and, you know, people were like, call, like calling heresy and like, and were jumping all over me about it. And now a year later, just now, um, just last, last week, Montana backcountry hunters and anglers voted, the board voted to, um, cease and desist all our three actions. That's great. So I, you think so? Because I see you guys meat eater as if uh, several things. I love the podcast. I've, I learned a lot today, but with, <laughs> with, with, lot, with, yeah, you, with, you shouldn't because a lot of people listen to the podcast and get interested with, in hunting. with, with, uh, well, at least I'm glad that you admit that you're cr- causing crowding. That's good. Well, um, by, yeah. In, so, in that, if by talking about something that interests you in a way that's passionate and then people hear that and they become curious about it, like guilty as well, charged. I, guilty as charged. I would say that, um, Montanans don't, don't want more hunters and you guys are doing for profit r3 did you know rocket money can cancel a subscription for you they'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you i can see my subscriptions in one place and if i see something i don't want rocket money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year 
when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Dogs, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Dogs' place on, on X, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them, to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. So when you're talking about crowding, you're speaking specifically to Montana? No, no. Th- these were national data that I'm talking about. Sure, but there are states in this in our country where there's a prolific amount of animals and they're asking hunters yeah, me- to kill. Meteor, meteors should move there. I mean, we're attempting uh, to. I would say that our spread and increasing, and increasing people <laughs> on our staff is, in fact, to try to bring more of the movement to the states that we have had a hard time speaking to, like so my own state. An- like another, thing I, another thing I have, a problem I have with hunting social media and, and, and hunting TV is the means by which influencers um, like yourselves go about attracting people to hunting um, are blatantly dishonest. Um, How and, so? Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting to that. Um, I know multiple of you in this room that have not shown something that you've shot and wounded 
that you would have shot or shown had you killed it. If it's not there, how do you show it? Show the blood trail. Oh. Like when you go on a when you go on a hunting trip and you post about it, and you're saying to me, you're trying to tell me that that's not one of the most consequential things that happened on the hunt that, is that you wounded something? Uh, yeah, I think at times like we um you have the, no the big, the, you at times you haven't no yeah you need if you're going to attract people to hunting and to sell them products that's not that's then not, it's incumbent on you but that's not to what show I'm, the consequences of every shot and you know you don't but what helmet but what let's say you and what, I what thank God not, you don't because then you ruin hunting for the rest of us that don't show any of it so like I just start out by admitting you lie and let us go from there. I don't think that I do. We've you done don't? Whole, no. The biggest, the biggest wait, way. Wait, that, wait, wait. When you, the biggest when you, way I would reach an audience. Wait, wait. The biggest way. Let's, I would, no, I want. I want to get. How is that not lying? Okay. Here's the thing, man. Here's like where it's a little bit weird. Is I think we probably know a tremendous amount about each other, and could all day long, um, like even just if we stuck it to like things that have happened around hunting, we could probably like all day long do things to each other that. Right, would just be no. You could say anything that's happened in my hunting past. I mean, I I don't try to portray it in a favorable light. That's mm-hmm. dishonest. I leave it off line, and I don't care what you say about. Uh, yes, I've wounded lots of animals in my life. Listening audience, I've wounded lots oh, yeah. of animals it, it, in my it's, life, and that's the thing that um, I, and that's the thing that we talk about and cover a fair bit. We've had but people. Why on. do you why, why do you sometimes not show it? Well, sometimes what, what? I, I get a lot of things. I also get a lot of things I don't show. And if like, at least let me finish my sentence. We've done the, like the biggest way that I would have to ever reach an audience is to reach an audience like by putting shows on Netflix. We have shows on Netflix all about wounding and losing stuff. There's no, the only thing that happens in it is wounding and losing something. Yeah. Th- well, you have other episodes where you go to great lengths to hide the fact that you've wounded and lost something. I would. I don't think that that's accurate. And oh, I don't think that that's really? true. Can we talk about it then? And that's, we can have this discussion where I've gone to great lengths to hide yes. something that's happened. Yes. Do you want me to go into it? No, but you know, I, Do you know what I'm talking about? You'll have to tell me later, please. No, I don't. Matt, I wrote like a huge, yeah, I would say article. if you're shooting at an animal and you plan on putting it up, if it goes good, mm-hmm. you are lying. If you don't put it up and it goes bad. I mean, there's some places where there's some areas in the law where you can you can go to prison for lying by omission if you harbor a fugitive, mm-hmm. you know. Well, yeah, there's places I mean, where there's it, a there's well, a. Hunt. I don't understand why your show is under documentaries on Netflix. I, I, when, I don't, I don't have it under documentary. I don't, it I don't is, categorize I mean, you the show. You should talk to them about because it's it's reality TV. Once you start, do they have a section called reality TV? I don't know, but no. it's just. I don't know what you entertainment. I don't know where you put it, but uh, but you just said that, and this is because I, I strive for honesty in in my life. I wrote a big long article about a bull that I shot and lost in New Mexico, and got a ton of feedback on that. Right, and it was a very personal thing to me because that's something as a, a hunter in general, I, I really tried to it's prevent the from happening. Of the wounded. but you said show it every time. And you destroy hunting or or threaten it for those right, of so us that don't show anything. this is like the paradox anything. part, right? Or, I mean, you guys have painted yourselves into a corner. You either show very little of it or like every third time it happens or whatever, and then you're lying. Or you show it all and you compromise and risk the future of hunting for people like myself that don't show any of it. 
I, I don't understand how you... To me, there's always been this paradox of people who are like, oh God, don't talk about that in hunting, right? Because then you do paint yourself into a corner, right? And the, uh, let's just say, like, bring up the boogeyman of the big anti-hunting crowd, right? And they go, aha, here are the wound loss stats that nobody talks about. Whereas if we do talk about them, that somehow alienates us from other hunters. Like that, that, that's ridiculous. We, you know, to bring up the North American model of game management, it's like, this is all part of it. It's all factored in. I'm just saying, and by you guys, saying you, creating the you, skeleton you, in the closet, anything and not put it on social media. I wrote an entire article. Yeah, but have you ever wounded something and not put it on social media that you would have otherwise put on social media? Have you ever killed? Any, have you ever got anything and yeah. not put it on social media? But I have. I have <laughs> talked about it. I, I mean, I'm just saying what you guys are doing is not the full picture. Let me ask you. I, this. I could. I could resort to specific examples, but I'm trying to not. Let me ask you this you about know, new but, hunter recruitment and pressure. If what if? What if you never show pictures of the dead animals at all? Like, what if you, what if your social media feed is entirely about hunting and it's you in the field, it's you with your friends, it's uh, it's maybe the end products that you've made, the dishes that you've cooked, and stuff like that? Does that change the the ethical issue in your mind? I'm curious. Um, okay, so I think that that would help a bunch because I don't like I I have and never have and I never think will. That, I think that would help a bunch, but. Um, I, I mean, like, it, I don't know if it gets you uh, completely out of the woods ethically because like social media influencers and in hunting, here's what they kind of do. They're like, Hey, we've decided, we've decided we are going to make more hunters and sell them products. And they don't consort with the rest of us. They don't, they don't consult with what the rest of us that don't do that want. They don't say, is it okay? They don't, you know, I, I think that, I don't know anybody that doesn't think that um, influencers are in, increasing crowding. And there's a lot of oh, I, peer no, review. No, I agree with pre, that. You know, so it's like, you guys have decided we, it's so top down. Like we have decided we will increase your crowding um, to so that we can, we can sell our products. Well, and that, and to me, that's just like, so I, maybe it gets you out of the, it, it definitely helps. If you, if you're like, it shows like you're not, it, well, let, you're let not using you, wildlife in this gross way where sure. you're trying to and what like, if, I mean, what build if, your reputation as a sure. hunter. And like all I don't that care crap. about building my reputation as a hunter. I care I don't very much though about building. I care very much about building people's confidence with um, making very, what I would consider to be better choices with the food that they feed themselves and their family. Like I want people in the field because I would rather them harvest their own deer, have to process it, go through the reality of taking something's life to feed and, and, you know, bolster the life of yourself and your family over, um, buying a package, something out of a grocery store and, and sell that's it. all like, well you know, good and good. But like, you've decided I'm going to make more hunters. There's a whole heck of a lot of us, the biggest sure. nonprofit in the state. Sure. That's like, you know, my friends go out hunting in Eastern Montana. What's the biggest nonprofit in the state? Or one of the biggest nonprofits in the state, Montana BHA, has decided, no, man, 
That's one of the biggest nonprofits in the state. Well, hunting nonprofits in the state, yes. Yeah, but they're still going to do social media. They're just not going to do concerted R three. Um, we the, the, it's an acknowledgement that we have enough hunters. Yeah, but they and but, and, but and you guys what they, what they, you guys and the rest of the influencers could, are still going for more. Like you're like I don't care what no, the rest of the, you, they'll still, the rest you want. They'll We're still gonna, do. They will still do. No doubt, events. They will still do social media. They will still do all uh, kinds what, of stuff. Uh, they have acknowledged they, they that there have are a, they have a concert they have a concerted apparently they had a concerted effort which was like spending money with the idea that you would recruit and create more hunters like my like my notion of that is that that's the thing now if they still are if they still go and put up pictures of people out hunting and they put up pictures of people enjoying food and they put up any kind of grip and grins, they would still be as equal. So we'll see if Montana BHA well, uh, is so serious that they stop doing any kind of social media around hunting if they think that that's to blame. It seems like what they're quitting are doing Are you is, saying that influencers don't in, uh, increase hunting pressure? I think that it would probably, I, I think that it's a, uh, well, I was, well, I was trying to get it earlier and, and you didn't like it, but it was, well, I was going to talk about some things that I think do and how just how huge and attributable the numbers are. Like if you look at something like the global pandemic, and that's what I was trying to like narrow in. I'm trying to get a sense of like, if you remove YouTube, because so, YouTube's not social media, so you take YouTube away. Well, I consider it. I, I okay. I, by my, so, my definition, like it, let's say you remove publishing, um, and then you remove its like latest manifestation through social media, and you you, you remove video platforms like YouTube. I don't, it's hard for me to say because here's the interesting thing to think about with crowding. Uh, the most hunters we've ever seen were in the post-World War II years. Pre-YouTube, pre-social media, pre-hunting TV, you had the highest percentage. In fact, I know it's hard to count, but by most academic measurements, you had as many hunters in 1950 as you do today. Not per acre. I, mean, I didn't say that. Well, it doesn't matter. All kinds you of guys are, are the influencers have made hunting so attractive. Ooh, not only do we get the meat hide horns, personal satisfaction, sense of self reliance, but we also get fame and likes and money. So now, but, where there's people are more incent are artificially incentivized to hunt. So but Matt, that's no different than the magazines we're doing pre social media. Yeah, I feel like you could be. Well, like, I don't. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't. Su- support those either but now it's become a point where every it's like a garden industry where everybody gets to like ooh i get to chase that stuff now too but and i, I and feel I, like I, you I, could... I know many 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 hunters best hunters i know by far are online and what you guys what the influencers do is they decide Decide we what? will we will go for more hunters but don't and you... there are lots of people that don't want that but when you like, here's plus. Here's another thing. Let's well, move on, on to but, another topic because like but, I got no, no, like I, we didn't gonna, leave me much time, and I, I got need a few to other be things able, that I have I need to, to be able to ask. Like it's kind of I have to be able to like ask quite you know. Well, ask I questions. drove four hours. I want to make sure I get to some of the stuff. No, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do it more like I want to get to it. <laughs> we're gonna do more like we're just like like ask a question. What's interesting to me that I'm trying to sort out is I could see finding. Um, I understand pointing to uh, social media influence and not liking it, which I think is demonstrated by 
like rates of people if we care about demographics like rates of people who actually just even engage in social media like there's a 75 percent chance nothing to do with hunting there's a 75 percent chance as a 50 year old american male there's a 75 percent chance you're offline anyway so i can see like i i, I don't I'm, see how i'm trying to finish my sentence i can definitely see that like in that what i'm trying to like understand is is the how we know when, when there's so many people tracking it, how we know that this, like that, that social media platforms, not magazines, not products. In fact, uh, let me go back to something. When we, when we first moved out to Montana and kind of took over Cal's uh, hunting spot, his state, crowded, started crowding up his state as Michigan dudes moving out west. Um, and blowing it up for everybody else. I think it'd be uh, more incumbent on you as we someone really talking from about here you, to be quiet. He was talking about you boys I, 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 at least I'm to quiet. the University at least I'm of Montana. Quiet. At least I'm quiet about Back it. in those days. Uh, so I'm not, we I don't really, move here and then try to blow it up for everybody. We were really into, um, and it's, uh, we, uh, like, well, I'll just say I, I was, I, I uh, bought a book by Don, Don Laubau about how to, like, hunt elk, right? And I used that book as a as a way to kind of like learn and get out and do stuff and don lawball's book part of what gave it its traction is you're like man this some bitch kills a lot of big elk so i'm looking at his book i see that he's effective uh, i give it credence and i buy a gazetteer which is a map book which is meant to get people all this else. stuff is for people that already hunt yep you you no, saw i had just i had i had just moved. you had hunted for years before all of that is I'm saying influencers, if social media hunting influencers aren't influencing people to hunt, then what the hell are they influencing to do? And you look at the relevant, look at the relevant scientific research on the effects of influencers. There's concrete, uh, concrete evidence that they- This is across the board. There's concrete- Are you curious about what I was going to say? No, you finished it. <laughs> There's, you're trying to argue that, that no. influencers have a minor role I, I'm just no, on I didn't on, say on that. I, try, I just wonder if you're like, is part of you a little curious about some of the things I was well, going to say? it takes so long to get to it. You just go on and on and on. <laughs> you do. Like, make your point. Uh, yeah. So, um, if you, it, you seem to be toying with the notion that influencers have a trivial impact on hunting. Pressure. No, I'm, I'm toying with the notion of how, how you measure it. I'm just curious. Okay. Well, yeah, I am too. Cause honestly, well, I don't well, even know how, a, how a person even finds me if me, they're not into hunting. We, we, there are, there are concrete data on all kinds of other variables that influencers affect steroid use. Mm -hmm. It's very well established. That influencers increase steroid use. It's very well established that influencers were instrumental in causing the January 6th riots. It's very established that there that e-cigarette use, marijuana use, on um, this trend of people going against state and federal wildlife uh, officials and taking selfies close to wild game and holding wild animals. That that is, there's scientific studies on that being a byproduct of influencers. So you guys can't argue that, oh, but not with hunting. Well, you know, which of us said that? Well, I thought you were arguing that. Oh, no, the problem is I never finished the point. So it's kind of like we never really would know. All right, go ahead. But, uh, go ahead, finish the point. Um, in learning how to like start, when I moved to Montana and learning how to hunt in Montana, I used all kinds of 
resources, uh, buying new equipment. I bought outdoor media. I've been a consumer of outdoor media. The other day I had a, I put a post on Instagram of the first piece of outdoor media I ever bought, which I bought in 1985 or 1986. And it was Tom Miranda's production line water trapping. Okay. So Tom Miranda had made an instructional DVD, um, about how to water trap. And I used this DVD and I was quite surprised by the amount of feedback of people who know that same series. I used that DVD to go and learn how to do shit that I didn't previously know how to do. So I took a piece of media, used it to educate myself. I found massive amounts of, and then someone even joked about this kind of thing. Uh, his series, his trapping series was like him standing at a culvert with a minky caught. And dude, that spoke to me the same way when I would flip through Trapper and Predator Caller magazine. And I'd see like guys with big barn photos of a lot of furs. And I would say like, man, like, I would like to know how to do that. I wish I could do that. All right, Moved well, to Montana, okay. bought Don Lawbaugh's so, DVDs. L- l- so, so I'm saying, like, I have for a long time, I guess, um, looked at things that inspired me, found information to learn how to do stuff. And so it's a little weird for me to then come around to the idea that, that, that one would, con- that, that it's like a condemnable activity to do things that might, um, that meant to educate, but that people might also look at and want to emulate. Well, you're increasing crowding for people that Mm -hmm. have been here longer than you. And you bought you to a large extent, you don't have to deal with it because you go up to Alaska or you hunt on special draw tags where they only allow two tags or whatever, you know? So, um, if you're, if, 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 if you're okay, if you think we need more hunters, how many more are you, are you thinking we need? Oh, I don't think we need it anymore. I mean, well, then why don't, why are you selling, why are you being an influencer then? Why are you influencing people to hunt? Is it more about the quality, not the quantity? Yeah, I don't have any, I don't have any, like, you're saying like for me personally, do I have a number of hunters I'm trying to achieve? I don't have, I, I've never even thought about it in those terms. I, I know that, like, I speak to a very, very, very small fraction of the people who buy hunt, like. Like, if you look at, like, what the audience is, the audience is a very, very, very small fraction of people who are already engaged in hunting. Like, I've never looked at it and be like, I need more. Like, I, I, I don't think about it. I really don't think about it. There's no, it's like, even if you look at it from, if you look at it, like, from a business standpoint, like, if you, like, make hunting gear, um, I've never been in any conversation around, like, around customers, around audience, where someone would take such a roundabout approach as to think that, like, Oh, the first thing you do is you try to make a new hunter. And then when that new hunter gets made, then you try to like get them to do it. Like every I'm conversation more, I've ever been I'm exposed way more to in, interested in, com- the, in the products of one's actions in, instead of what the intent of them are. Mm, and yeah. I don't know anybody that doesn't think, I don't know a single person that doesn't think that outfits like yours are increasing crowding. I imagine, yeah. It's it, it, because so there, there are places that you, you there, say you don't want more hunting, but your actions. I didn't say I don't. You hunters, I said I don't do. I, I said I'm not, I don't. You asked me you how many I one, want. We could rewind the tape, but you just said. Man. So can you rewind the tape? How many more do, are you are you thinking we need? Oh, I don't think we need any more. I mean, well, we, then why don't why are you sell? Why are you being an influencer then? Why are you influencing people to hunt? Is it more about the quality? Yeah, I don't have any, I don't have any, like, you're saying like for me personally, do I have a number of hunters I'm trying to achieve? I don't have, I've never even thought about it in those terms. I I know that like I speak to 
a very, very, very small fraction of the people who buy hunt. Like, like if you look at like what the audience is, the audience is a very, very, very small fraction of people who are already engaged in hunting. Like I've never looked at it and be like, I need more. Like, I, I, like I don't think about it. He just rewound the tape. Uh, I don't have a, so you replayed my, you, you, there's my reply. Um, I don't have a number. Uh, I'm not like chasing a number. Like I, I like, I, I, I'm completely ambivalent toward well, it, with the all number. the with with if if anything's impact you're you're considered the biggest the most well known hunter in the in the in the country. Who, you, who did that? Who said well, that? I just hear it various places. I would say Don Junior has to be. What well, the next thing I would say it doesn't like, that doesn't matter. I think do, it doesn't Nugent, it doesn't matter, Steve. It doesn't huh. matter. You're one of the influential hunters in the country. I can't believe you wouldn't would take Nugget, the time. That's to, an interesting question. I would yeah, say Nugget, oh, Rogan, Steve, and, oh, go, sorry. Come on, let him finish. All right. <laughs> that you haven't taken the time to come. I mean, you guys are the, you guys, I'm just a guy and I have mm-hmm. my number. What I'd like to see. What would you like to see? About, about half. Half as many. Yeah. yeah. That'd put us, we'd still be above New Zealand in terms of per capita. Where's that put you with funding? Well, I think the biggest, um, I think the biggest problem with, with, with uh, habitat is too many hunters. So, right, but if you so cut, I think if, that the, the I think that wildlife would be better off if we if we um, forfeited the funding and and had and and had had fewer hunters. And like I'm the only way I can see that's legitimate to reduce hunters is by taking out what I consider to be weeding out the bad eggs. People that that. Put their crap out to show strangers, which is like kind of gross. Do you, think, actually, um, do you think that the do you think the places that are spending money with the with the concerted effort to recruit, like state agencies and nonprofits, do you think that they're less effective than people who are on social media? Like, do you think they're they're, they're like like do you feel that just like curbing those efforts would be helpful to achieve what you'd like to see achieved? No, R three to me is a secondary issue. I think that the that that the influencers that are like selling products are probably more effect, more effective at or, or ever having a, an outsized role in, in, in the crowding. You think they're doing more than like, than stuff from the Pittman Robertson fund going to state agencies to promote hunting. Yeah. I to think market it's hunting. more influence. I, I can't speak to overcrowding because I don't have like hunting spots that are precious to me, but I can speak from a place where I feel like I'm the, one of the only people in this room who did not, grow up with hunting, did not grow up with firearms, had not heard of Steve or Meat Eater before I applied for this job. <laughs> I was I was eating vegetarian during my first interview for this job. I was outspoken about my issues with the Second Amendment. Being exposed to this kind of, to what Meat Eater speaks about and talks about has had a profound impact on the way I think about this entire world and the way I vote and the way I spend my money. And I think, you know, we all probably have issues with some way, some things that, that, that influencers work, but I'd say meat eater overall is a net positive because the fact of the matter is, is that like, you, I'll use the term coastal elites. You guys like hunters are looked down upon and the number of hunt, like hunting is shrinking. The attitude towards hunting is getting more and more negative. And I think having, and, and like Steve mentioned some other influential hunters that I will personally uh, not name that I would prefer to not be the spokespeople and faces of hunting. I think meat eater and what Steve does uh, 
you know, it's really good to have a voice like that out in front of the people. I guess I, I, I bought a duck stamp thre- for the first it, time it, it this year. I bought your, several hunting licenses. It depends for the first largely time this on year. your on your threat assessment. I'm somebody I hunt more than anybody I know. Yeah, you know, I devote my life to it. When I'm not hunting, it's not hunting season. I'm tending to my pack llama so I can go hunting the next year. And what I see, what what has stay, stay always close, been, stay, stay close to your mic. Is what like, what like, has uh, always yeah, been as, as, as the lapping been, an ice cream cone. What what has always been. Um, the deterrent to good hunting, um, is pressure and it's gotten to a point where, you know, people, it's not even worth it in a lot of places. Have, do you feel so, like, you, do you feel like knowing that if you feel that hunting is, um, bad for the environment and bad for wildlife? No, no, you, I, I think about- influencers artificially in, inflating the number of people that go afield and adding new incentives for hunting, such as fame, money, and, and likes is bad for where so you never fit. thought so their their like activities on the land are like more damaging than a than a non than an offline person on the land no oh how, how, do, you, how do you view like in the last few years i mentored corinne i mentored a buddy who's now like a diehard hunter mentored my son this year I'm, like i'm i'm down with is like, that like the like last, i'm bringing new people the, in. the last uh sentence of my r3 article of last year let friends and families recruit the next generations of hunters as they've done for thousands of years so. sure but okay, i have a question that's uh, so all i because I, to answer yeah i support i support that what i don't support is but um, how are you like but you also want half as many hunters on the landscape you can't, you I, I can't, want, I you want can't whatever there are people now. In I would, and... I want whatever. Okay. So I'd say 50% would be a good balance in terms of maintaining a presence and, and fighting for things that we believe in as hunters and hunt quality. Okay. It would be about 50%. But in, I also have another f- number. Um, and that would be however many there are now mm-hmm. minus how many there are, are because of these gross incentives. I, I think you get, you don't give quite enough credit to a lot of these new hunters that they would actually just get into it because they're going to think that with the picture of a dead animal, they're going to get likes and get a dopamine hit. Like that, that somehow is actually like when they're like, I'm thinking about getting into hunting here, are my top, even five reasons, <laughs> and that one of those five is going to be like, I need more likes on my Instagram. Well, yeah, account. I guess you just you have a different view on human nature than than I do. I mean, obviously, here's another piece of evidence. There's a lot of. I mean, you can just go around wearing bikinis and get more likes if that's what you're out now for. Now everybody's gonna be running around in a bikini hunting. You know, I mean, like, you can just go and do stupid shit in front of your your phone. And like get likes. Well, lot, hunting lot of, is a very hard thing to go and do. A lot of a lot of these guys, well, Sean like, a, lot, a lot of these influencers Sorry. are killing for content. So like a lot of these guys are killing way more than they need. I completely agree with you there. I think people that are killing all. I mean, and, and this goes same thing for food for hunt or what, what's the program? So if you're like hunting five times harder than you would because you got to keep the feed rolling, then I would say that. That shows just how strongly incentivized the you're fame right. and money part is. You're completely and, right. And about I think that. when people look like at, at a, like at some of these influencer dudes, they're like, "Man, I gotta, I want to get my game going." But hunters for the hungry. What about dudes that used to? What about dudes that used to shoot all kinds of buffalo out the train window? Man, I mean, they weren't posting that shit. There's kind of like a thing, like 
I feel like over, like, you know, over harvest and, 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 you know, people, even if it's not, even if you could support, even if it winds up being that it supports habitat and supports wildlife issues in Africa and you go like, oh, I collected 30 some head. I think that that's just been going on for like, well, some people might look at it and be like, that's over harvest. And they'd be like, well, no, it all gets used, whatever. But I think that that's like a sort of human characteristic that's gone on for an incredibly long time. I would look at over harvest to me would be that. I'm not talking about over harvest. There's a lot oh. of areas where well, I, I think I, we'd I harvest more. I think we'd harvest more if there was fewer hunters. Because um, all the hunters just there are just drive crap onto private. I don't understand what mm. the reluctance is in the room to admit that crowding is a huge problem. And why, if, if it's not well, a problem, why do you guys not deal with it? I'm not like, saying. Well, I, I got, I could outline. Who here, who here, I who could, here hunted on public land I, I could, oh yeah, because you paid your dues a couple times. Sure. But you also went on a bunch of other I've hunts only that hunted, didn't require like, that. Yeah, but why, why don't you let me set I've the, only freelance hunted set all the, season. The, so the hunt plan for meat eater next year. If you go. I will send you some areas but honestly, where we have like, a but real you, good you fish. I hate to like go and like you did this and you did that, but I'm going to try to do it in a respect. I would rather people just assume I'm a scoundrel and a racketeer. It's like, I, no, I no. want people to consider my viewpoints. I know, but, but here's, here's the thing. You're going to the Bahamas to fish. You fish in Louisiana. You fish in Alaska. Does that mean that is like just in the last year? I'm not blowing up hunting for the rest of everybody. But no, no, I didn't. I, I, I say I didn't, if, if, the if problem you got is, it, the problem is, are you curious about what I was going to ask? Go ahead. You, you were curious to hear what I was going to say. Yeah. Okay. Is the fact that you go to other locations to fish, is that a testament to how crowded fishing spots are? Or is that because other things are interesting too? Are you going to the Bahamas to spearfish this winter because it's too crowded here? I think that you went down to, where'd you go? And with your, pro, with your tag, with your... Where did you go? You drove with your special tag this year? New Mexico. I think you would have had a very similar experience here, except for the crowding. No, it would have been way different. It was just a completely different place. I have, uh, a, I have an honest question about like, the crowding not, thing, because like, con- like Montana is a very specific example when you start talking about public lands and crowding onto public lands in Montana. But I'll give a... like. There, I feel like there has to be some weight given to that there's also a positive impact has to be done with like how we maybe can educate people on certain things that they otherwise wouldn't have been educated on that has created crowding. For example, in South Dakota, like uh, most of the waterfowling that's done in Eastern South Dakota is done on private land. It's knock on doors, freelance hunting. Like there's gotten to be some leasing. It's not outfitters. It's not influencers. It's people with more money than other people that don't want to knock on doors, don't want to spend the time on door knocking on doors. They're leasing up like high volume, good possible duck hunting ground. Anyway, that's a little beside the point. No, I don't think it is. But the the point is, is like there are a ton of landowners in South Dakota that say no to hunting, not because of that influencer was out there shooting too many ducks or that he was, um, you know, taking a picture in a bikini with a pile of birds. They're, (laughs) they're saying no to hunting because of bad ethics, because people didn't know how to treat the land because people didn't know how to treat the landowner. And if I can in any way myself, like teach people how to 
be kind to landowners, how to properly scout, how to not, I'm guilty of like having rutted up a freshly maintained road as a dumbass college kid that didn't realize a farmer had spent money to go grade that road. And then I go driving down it after a fresh rain. Now all of a sudden he probably doesn't let people hunt when he would have. Because he leases it out now. No, he doesn't lease it out. He He just just flat out no hunting. And there's a lot of people that let people hunt 10 years ago, nine years ago, eight years ago, that now like they've had enough with it. And then the few that still let people hunt and aren't leasing their land. Now all of a sudden they get the overcrowding issue flooding to their front door because it's like a systematic dialing down of like less and less private land available to hunt. And it's not a, it's not a influencer problem. It's not a leasing problem. It's a like ethical problem of people not treating the landowners, right? People not treating the land, right? And now all of a sudden you are creating a crowding issue. That's, I personally feel like, uh, so you're saying it'd be way worse if we didn't show strangers what we shoot. What like, I'm, oh, what I'm, the what few I'm places saying we is can if, hunt, the few places we can still hunt that are owned by private landowners, that's only because we show strangers what we shoot. No, what I'm saying so is I, if that I, I can have I don't any message to people about like, I wrote an article discussing these topics. I'm all I for have, it. I have openly discussed the problems that waterfowlers have with they should be shooting tighter patterns and tighter loads which by the way sells federal black cloud ammo i'm a champion of that because all of a sudden now you have lower wound rates right like because there's a lot of statistics out there about like 15 to 40 acquire with all okay but my point is is like i can that message gets out there more because i have the platform of this because I have the platform of meat eater because I have what like I, Steve a, has a, brought I, me I, into I'm the great, fold of. But, but do you need and to show them what you shoot? Strangers, what you shoot? To, to, you really you go, if you really go scroll don't. through my Instagram, yeah. I really I mean, I, don't. I, I it's mostly do it. my dog. <laughs> yeah. I like looking at what people got. I'll always, I've, I've had this argument. Ben O'Brien, he was always down on uh grip and grins. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had a problem with grip and grins. Like I, I when I see him, when friends text it to me, I see him. Um, if I see a friend of mine on social media, I'm always like, I, I, I like looking at it. I'm excited to see what's out there. I'll always put them up. It's like, maybe like I was looking I think maybe like one in every 25 posts of mine have something like that on it. Yeah. I'm not right. down I'd, on it. I'd be a bad friend if I didn't mention Ben changed his mind about grip. He did. Guns. He did oh, change. Yeah. Cause there's always like this thing of like this thing that like you hunters are naughty. You know, don't show them how naughty you are. And I, I used to kind of like get onto that a little bit like, oh yeah, man, you should hide deer in the back of your truck. But I don't think that the non-hunt, I don't think that the anti-hunting community would be like, they're driven by such like, they're driven by such a like, like radicalized, educated element that is so strategically good. I don't think if dudes didn't drive around with a dead deer uh, on the back of their, in the back of the truck with the gate open. I don't think the like anti-hunting sentiment would go away. So I've kind of arrived at a place where I'm like, you know what? Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't feel like hiding. Like, I, I don't, I get, I get, I definitely get the guns, argument. Guns themselves are a bigger roadblock than, than seeing dead animals. You think so? Oh, ab- absolutely. Oh, yeah. None of my concerns are based or, I mean, I think of that as concern is, but my concern with anti-hunters is being way overblown. Yeah. I think a much bigger, well, unless concern, you're a bear hunter in Washington, a, a much, a, a much bigger concern. Is or a bear hunter in New Jersey. A much bigger concern is people hunting for the wrong reasons. And I think that's why my, my issues are, it, it, I, I, I don't, I think this argument that it, 
that social media ups our standing with non-hunters is is implausible. Okay, but just what about giving hunters the right message? Like it's implausible on space. You look at where that's where all that's where the anti's get their material is from social media. I mean, hold on, maybe that is because type in something like (laughs) type in something like social hunting social media controversy. You will never stop reading because there's more content. Content's being generated quicker than okay, you can but, but find. Maybe why that's the biggest, just a why flaw the biggest, in the messengers. Yeah, but why like, do the biggest anti-hunting gains happen pre-social media? Uh, well, they're, they're, I mean, they, they all have, have pre-social to, media. The biggest gains, the biggest gains the anti-hunting movement had legislatively were pre-social. Well, there's a lot more, there's a lot longer time period pre-social media. Pre, uh, pre-social media has only been around for 10 years. I just feel like there's so many other things you can point <laughs> at mean, that are like crowding problems also. Like, I, I just don't feel like that I have some overwhelming amount of people messaging me being like, I'm only hunting because I get to send you an Instagram photo of like my pile of birds but i feel like there's plenty of crowding problems that relate back to um like i mentioned before like landowner problems funding problems i mean hell we have so many like popping up walk-in area programs that have opened up access for people in places like south dakota and kansas that that wouldn't happen if we're focused on less hunters yeah well, so you so you guys disagree with BHA's stance then? I I'm just saying. No, I I I, I uh, if I would have been if I would, let's say I was on Montana BHA's board and they're like and looking at what their mission statement is about like def, you know defending public lands and all that and they had a thing like are we going to spend money like are we going to take money out of a budget that would normally go to legal defense would normally go to whatever. I would probably, I would remove, a, I would remove our three money. I'd probably, I might remove some event money unless I could look at the efficacy of it. But if I would have been on that board, I would have said yes. The same way with Pittman Robertson, when they clear, when they clarified that states could use PR matching dollars to market hunting, I would have said, I don't, I think that that's not quite on mark with what those funds were originally intended for. I would have had them not do that. And I would also have, like, if I was on the board of various wildlife groups that are dedicated to, like, certain species of wildlife, I would say to them, I think that we have a lot more to gain by looking at current practitioners and affecting their behavior than this very, like, inefficient roundabout approach of trying to get, like, new people into it in hopes that then those new people become supporters of the mission. Like, well, shit, there's already tons of people that's that already do it. That's been my point all along. Yeah, there's already it. tons of that's people been, that do it. That's been my point Why would we not focus on all the people like Montana BHA? All the people in Montana, um, and this was the point you made, all the people in Montana that, that don't belong. Well, a lot of them don't belong, not because they haven't heard of it. They don't belong because they're adversarial to the mission or whatever. Sure. But like educating them instead of thinking like, you're going to go get some guy, perhaps, who's never hunted, he's going to start hunting, and then he's going to become like a conservation warrior. When in fact, we find that most of your most active, effective conservation warriors were people who've been hunting their whole life. So it's like, I just think it's, it's misspent. So do I disagree with BHA or do I agree with that move? I mean, I wasn't in the room, but based on what I understand, I would do it. Now, uh, Matt, you had some clarion calls, calls to action for the audience. Yeah. Can you do the two calls to action? Yes. Um, we're, uh, uh, let's see here. Let me, let me consult my notes here momentarily. I, I do want to point out that uh, 
some of Matt's notes seem to be written on some uh, checks that have been uh, sent his way. From who? Oh, really? And I just want to make sure. Oh, they're blank you... checks. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you even, might, even might want to hang on to who the checks. <laughs> who are the checks from? <laughs> I don't know. Matt so, also has a problem with buying paper. So uh, I, I want to know who the checks are from. They're probably from my credit card company. They oh. Are. So in order so, geez, to, man, run uh, a, a few, so many checks coming uh, in. He's got Matt uh, talking to the mic. Yeah, the two clearing calls. A few, okay, a few pre- uh, preliminaries before I can get into this. Okay, so um, a couple other things I didn't get to that are part of my clearing call are uh, I would I'd encourage people to look into um, the role of the kind of content that influencers are putting up. Um, uh, there's a there's very good evidence from clinical psychology that um like content that makes you envious of somebody else's lifestyle um and i'd say putting up big bucks on social media and like glam- oh that makes glam- me envious of shit when glam- i see that glamor man. glamorizing um your lifestyle how exciting my honey lifestyle is that sort of thing um leads to that envy the envy from that uh is very strongly associated with depression. And uh, from that depression, uh, that depression leads to more social media um, use. To try to like, to try to like scratch the itch. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 that's an, another problem I have with the influencers. How, how do you, but like how, a lot, like a deep concern for America in general's public yeah, I don't well-being. Think it, yeah, there, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of sick people out there. Yeah. You and, know? And, 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 and that, like you're, um, you're, you're, you're America's, Mental health, top of mind here. Are you being facetious? Yeah, because there's also ton overwhelming evidence that getting outside is good for your mental health. Right. Well, if you're looking at your phone <laughs> at social media, you ain't outside, are you? Or no, you're not engaged. But in you outside. might do that. You might see that. Another thing is per would... per per uh, free range Americans, as it was explained to me, was like encouraging people to get outside. So it's a two step thing. So that's really good for your mental health. Is getting outside. How do people know? I about thought this it? was my clarion call. I thought we were wrapping up. I know, but at the end of the day, it's my fucking show. But uh, go on. Oh, my God. That is so fucking obnoxious. (laughs) Um, I just have to do that. I I, I don't know. I got to say a couple things. um, Another thing I I would say is, like, is rectal health. Um, What health? Rectal health. Oh, this is great. So, um, you know, I'm I'm absolutely convinced that uh, a lot of people are looking at this stuff on the shitter. Friend of mine told me he's like, "Oh, did you see the big bull that so and so shot this year?" And I said, "Why are you looking at that trash?" And he said, "Well, I was looking. You got to look at something on the shitter." And I'm sure a lot of people do that. If you ask any proctologist, they'll tell you <laughs> that really is a this recipe is true thing. for hemorrhoids. Homet being on there too long, too long. looking at yeah, stuff. No, yes. they're looking at stuff. It's like. So, too long and so also not having I mean, your legs. Is it like right is position. it the time spent or like looking at stuff? Yeah, it's it's the time spent. So so time. Time. Newspapers are bad I've got a word too. for the editor of Reader's Digest fifty years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> I like, have no idea that was bad to spend time. I, 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 listening yeah, audience, oh, you know, so I, I'm pretty convinced that you guys are probably secretly sponsored by Preparation H. But um, there, there might be people on the show listening to the show right now. I listen to the show on the shitter, man. Listening audience, why are you following? people that have zero concern for your rectal health i'll just leave that as a rhetorical probably zero concern Um, for your in many cases zero concern for your mental health both on social media both um so um if i i I would say like here's something you could do 
uh, if you're if you're concerned about your rectal health, it's kind of hard hiking the hills for deer and elk with a protruding anus. Um, so it seems like something you should be concerned. You about. You could say prolapsed. Um, <laughs> yeah. You you're 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 concerned with incentivizing um, a system that that um, inspires people to hunt for the wrong reasons diminishes your draw odds because we've all agreed here. I think pretty much that influencers increase hunting the number of hunters. So they're increasing the number of people that are applying for tags. Um, crowds, public land hunters. I think we've established here that hunting social media increases the number of people hunting. I made the best case I can in that respect. Um, if you're concerned about habitat and not having land so overcrowded with hunters that, uh, that it's detrimental to makes uh, wildlands uninhabitable for wildlife. Pays uh, landowners to la lock out the public. This is one. I think that uh, social media influencers are free advertising to private landowners. It ups the value of unpressured hunting to a point where uh, landowners can't resist paying for it. Um, degrades our reputation among non-hunters. Degrades our mental health. Um, if you hunt private and you don't want that to become so valuable that it becomes leased out, if you have a hunting lease and you don't want the price to go up, if you want to avoid all those things, here and be, and be a better shot, and be a better shot, put the fucking phone down and go shoot your bow. Um, that's clarion call number one. Clarion call, call number two is um, I'm inviting all hunters in 2022 to take my no post challenge. My New Year's no post challenge. But you already did it. No, that wasn't it. That oh, was no. I'm saying you became a no post guy years ago. Yes. When you closed your shiftiest metal account down. Yes. So I uh, did that. Had, that had dead animals in it. I talk about this in my article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized several years ago that the only is that my you only added, is motivation that when you shiftiest metal. If you read my article. Okay, then, I don't. It didn't say. It didn't say when you ended shiftiest metal. Oh, I I didn't start shiftiest metal. Really? But no. Um, so how'd they get your pictures? I, well, I started putting, isn't, I don't understand this hashtag and all that stuff. I don't get all that stuff. I don't do it, but, and, but you did and, and you shouldn't, and you shouldn't either. Okay. But, uh, so I would challenge all hunters in, in 2022, um, go out there and hunt, enjoy it, you know, but, uh, um, why don't you, why don't you prove to us, why don't you prove to the rest of it, us that, that, uh, you've moved past the attention starved toddler phase of hunting and can go do it. And it's still fun without the likes. So just yeah. don't post anything in 2022. So and that's zero posts, not just uh, no gripping dead, dead no dead animals, but you know, are you, you, do, you do you disapprove of, of uh, do you disapprove of wild game photos? Live? Living? No, no. Like you don't no. like photos where people have a thing they cook meat. You yeah, know, that's a dead animal. I, right? I, no, but I thought, no, I'm, I'm not asking, I'm not trying to do a trick. I mean, do you oppose there's wild, level, like, photos there's of wild levels game? There's levels of dis, the things I, I oppose. Mm -hmm. I, I, that, I, I mildly oppose that photos because, of food. Because I just think that anybody that's doing that sort of stuff or any kind of hyping of hunting is, is just totally unconcerned with what other people might think mm -hmm. about the number of hunters. They're like, we're just going to charge ahead and do our thing. You know, mm -hmm. and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Um, it's becoming socially acceptable, I believe, to say we have a problem with too many hunters. I think it's becoming, you know, the reason it wasn't before is because um, nobody, everybody that has a voice in hunting 
they all make money off hunting. Um, oh, I want to give a, sh- a, a, a shout out to my boys at blood origins, that podcast, cause they'll let you on even like they'll let, they allowed a lot of diverse perspectives. They let me on a couple of times. I really appreciate that. You give us a shout for so, having you on. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks to you guys <laughs> also for, for having, having me on. But I think that by and large, everything that we believe about hunting and what, what, what why we think what we think is because, um, the only people that have a voice are people that make money off of it and, and, and they drive the narrative and the narrative is we need more hunters because that's more, they, they're well, a lot because, of that's, a lot because of that's, we need more, we want more profits. But a lot but, of that's government. I mean, even to your own, I mean, you work for the federal government and even the federal government has doing stuff to promote hunting. Um, so, and also state agencies are doing a lot of well, hunting. Yeah, it's not, I mean, in, in as much as they make money I, off it. So they're like taking taxpayer money. I don't like the government encouraging people to hunt either. I oppose well, you know, you're that saying, No, well. you said the only people doing it are making money, but then you look at like they're, people. They're, they're. So like all the state agencies that market yeah, hunting. Well, they, 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 yeah, because they, they, people buy hunting licenses. So you think there's like people federal, buy hunting licenses that like that, state, that goes to their salary. But it doesn't really go. I mean. Yes, it does. But what about nonprofits? Oh, like, do you, what about nonprofits? Do you that vote Democrat? Do you are, vote Democrats? Um, think I mean it's like so relieving to me that Montana BHA did what they did. I heard a guy at a nonprofit once say to me, because um, I'm like, why are you doing this Arthur thing when it, things are so freaking overcrowded already? And he says to me, our corporate sponsors wouldn't like it very much if we backed off R three. So that just shows you where it's like the nonprofits, like who do they serve? Uh, the sports. There's a lot of, there's a but, lot of, or do non- they, or do they serve their corporate sponsors? But, but you can look and see where the money's going. You can look at their budget. You can look at NWTF. You can look at REMF. Like a lot of well, their money's going back in. Yeah. Like REMF, like any of the, does REMF have like an R3 end of yes. the business? Yes, they do. Like I know TRCV doesn't have like a dedicated R3 but end all of their business. NWTF does. But you could find out what they spent. You could find out like what they spend on it, why they spend on it. But I'm just saying, if you look at like, you have state agencies that are spending money to market hunting and say like, oh, they're doing it because they're making money on it. It'd be like, it'd be like if you work for the federal government, and you vote Democrat because in the back of your head, the Democrats spend a hell of a lot more money on the federal government. Then you'd be like, you're just voting. You're voting just to make money. Because you know that the Republicans would look at a lot of the stuff we do around the federal government and ask that shit. So when you get like, you get like federal employees, like, oh, you're using your most, con- you're using your greatest constitutional liberty, your vote just to pad your paycheck and keep your place in business. It's like, no shit, dude. I mean, there's a, there's an element of it. Like I started, I wrote my first book. I've been, I've been writing about hunting for 25 years. When I, the, the first piece of the, the first thing I ever sold, I sold the trapper and predator caller. The second thing I ever sold, I sold the outside magazine. How does outside make, make magazine, make money. They sell subscriptions. I wrote books. I went hunting to write books about hunting. And I, and why? Because they sell the books. It's like, the last thing I'm going to do is sit and act like it was naughty to have written a book about hunting because the book is for sale. It's like, you're just writing that book to make money. I, like, I, no I, hope, shit. I hope you're no not, shit. I hope you're not saying this because you think I'm opposed to any of that. I don't. Okay. I wrote books about hunting. It used, a lot of people used to point to Michael Pollan's um, Omnivore's Dilemma as being like the, for years, it was like the driver of interest in hunting was Michael Pollan's Dilemma. And it like got all these chefs in the hunting and caused this whole like pro hunting movement. Would I ever look and be like, that son of a bitch? It's just, oh, it, I do that with your boy Rogan all the time. 
Yeah, I think, I, know I, think I think that he think he, that Joe Rogan's the worst thing that happened to hunting in the ever since he started. I was invited on his first hunt and didn't go. Thank God I couldn't live with the guilt. But here you have a guy. That, <laughs> um, I called Rogan about this, but yeah. I, I have I, I I here you have a guy that is contributing. He 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 never shuts up about elk meat. And and like I, I first of all, like I say in my article, I nothing got a couple points about him. Nothing. Uh, screams let them eat cake to me like um inundating traditional public land hunters with throngs of aspiring hunting celebrities seeking to be like him than freaking blowing up hunting for on public lands for people while you hunt your uh, pay like pay to hunt private ranches another thing is that he like he, he likes to act like he um is concerned about public access and conservation. It's like, why are you uh, using your dollars? You're pay- paying for licenses that that are contributing to the to, like, that contribute to the privatization of wildlife. I think he, I, I like, he's a friend of mine. Uh, I know him pretty well. Uh, I know him a bit. I he's, he's I I don't think he like sorts it out. I think he's interested in a wide wide host of activities from like science, health, diet, pool fighting um what? comedy and i imagine I, I i'm just like getting in his mind i don't think he i think he like gets interested in things well just talk about things he's interested it. in shut up and do yeah, it. yeah i just don't know that well, I, I don't think that he would i don't think it would occur to be like oh but like i'll handle my interest here differently I, it's just a, yeah, it's just a strong that's, ass that, yeah that's what's so that's that's the problem in your fucking mind rude yeah yeah all right everybody merry christmas <laughs> Merry Christmas. Go check out the trauma kits are uh, at the thing. Save a buddy. Go to the auction house, the online auction house. And then stay tuned too because we're going to roll right from this and not stay tuned because it's not a stay tuned. We're going to roll it into our big uh, Christmas tree blowout. Thanks everybody for joining. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.